0: the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again, as Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood.
1: And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him.
2: And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this Monday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in northwest Pennsylvania. Uh We broadcast each and every day, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Global Star Radio Network. We're also simulcast on video via YouTube, as well as Blog Talk Radio. Um, don't forget, we have two separate websites one for the show, which is Hagman and Hagman.com. One for our news content, which is HagmanReport.com. We have a very special show for you tonight. The title of the show, Endgame The Final Roman Emperor, Islamic Antichrist, and the Vatican's Role. And with that, we have both Steve Quayle from Stevequayle.com and Tom Horn from Skywatch TV. Now, we're going to be getting into the latest investigative findings of Tom Horn. And Chris Putnam, uh, Chris is not with us, um, but Tom will be talking about their work in tandem and the research of Steve Quill, and present their findings and discuss the end game that is at play right now. It's going to be a very interesting show. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to, to Steve right now and let you take it away, Steve. Uh, we have a whole bunch of information to get to, and, and let's do that
1: well it's amazing because again this we're going to talk about we're going to go over how it all got started, but the final Roman Emperor, the Islamic Antichrist and the Vatican's last crusade it's fascinating ladies and gentlemen that Tom Horn and Chris Putnam were quoted around the world they were sought out from every major news uh, source in the world they were accused of having an insider in the Vatican and what Tom is going to tell you tonight is going to make even the, uh, the, hair on the back of your head stand up because, again, what we're doing is we're seeing prophecy, real prophecy unfold. No one could have argued with Tom Horn, and even to the date that the uh, former Pope stepped down before when I call it this guy came on the scene, uh, their last entry into the four year investigation the authors will unveil, and I want to read this because this is cool, because Tom's greatest prediction yet that is going to shape the foundation of the world is incredible in him. He's gonna talk about the weapons of mass destruction that ISIS will use and how it will lead to an apocalypse. Petrus Romanus, Albert Pike, the Islamic State and the coming Armageddon. Now here's what's interesting. Does Pope Francis become the destroyer? He certainly has a good shot at it right now. Or will there be another? And what's interesting is the Last Crusade's agenda is hidden in plain sight. And ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the prophecy of the Chameleon Sybil or the Muslim Mahdi. I'm sorry, they're not the same. On the Muslim Mahdi. So, Tom, let's run over a little background because we've got three hours and how this all got started because this has been a four-year undertaking on your part. And let's Talk about Petrus Romanus first.
3: Okay, Steve. Hey, great to be with you and the Hagmans again on radio. It's such a pleasure. Uh, thank you for inviting me to come on to talk about all of this. And for the people out there uh, listening who were who are probably right now wondering, well, what happened to Chris Putnam? Because we advertised this in our social media and stuff today. Uh, <clears throat> just before we came on the air, Chris slammed his finger <laughs> in a door and pulled one of his fingernails plumb out, so uh, he said he's in too much pain, can't do the show, so uh, we hope that he gets well quickly, and uh, I'll just have to do the best I can. Uh, the other caveat that I would throw out there is that there are portions of the research that were done in this latest uh, entry, the the final Roman Emperor book, Uh, that was done by Steve, in particular having a lot to do with the ancient aspects of this prophecy, that I won't be able to speak to, but it's okay. Uh, People will be able to get the book in a week from now, and they'll be able to read everything that Chris did, and they'll hear Chris and other programs, I'm sure. So, yeah, you know, funny thing, uh, Steve and and Joe and Doug, is that we never did set out to write four books. Uh, I mean, this thing just took on its own kind of organic... Uh, uh, feeling and uh, issues kept coming to us. Opportunities kept coming to us. The phone kept ringing. People knocking on the door. It was just amazing how really this whole thing has had an almost supernatural or preternatural kind of feel to it. Beginning all the way back in 2011, uh, I was speaking at um, you know our mutual friend Chuck Mizler at his Strategic Perspectives Conference. I was one of the keynote speakers. Uh, in 2011 at Strategic Perspectives, and I was standing in the back room, and Steve, you know Joe Artis. Uh, he was back there with me, and I'm waiting my turn to speak, right? And and I, and I, But I happened to say to him, I said, you know something that really amazes me is that nobody has written a thorough investigative uh, analysis of the prophecy of the popes, and yet... Pope uh, Benedict XVI, who was the pope in 2011, is the next to the last on the list. And I said, you would think that even if there are you know people like us evangelicals that don't put any stock in much much or any of Catholic prophecy, you would think, if for no other reason, the, the historical importance of a 900-year-old Catholic and a famous Catholic prophecy at that, called the prophecy of the Pope, that given that whenever Benedict is gone. The next guy is going to be the last one on the list. I'm just amazed that nobody's written a thorough investigation about this. So we're having that conversation. And the more we talked about it, the more Joe Artist said to me, he said, well, then you, you know, you're a publishing house, right? So maybe you should be the one that writes it. So we're standing back there making notes. And this is this is where this whole preternatural thing began. I said, okay, I'm going to run up to my room before I have to speak, and I'm going to email myself these notes, and when I get back to my office, I'm going to really consider writing a book on the final pope, uh, who's called Petrus Romanus, in the list of popes, Uh, and I went up to my room, literally opened my email, and I had an email from a guy by the name of Chris Putnam. Chris and I had only ever exchanged a couple of emails. We had never spoke to each other. I knew that he ran a blog site, Logos Apologia. Uh, but we had never done anything together. And I opened his email. In fact, we hadn't we hadn't even emailed for probably a year or two years at that time. I opened his email, and he said, Hey, Tom, I want to talk to you about uh, the final pope, Petrus Romanus, and kind of pick your brain on it. I couldn't believe it, right, the, the timing of that. So I emailed him back, and I said, Hey, Chris, you can't believe the timing of your email, brother, and one thing led to the other. I'm not going to give this to you blow by blow, but that's how it started. It had this whole kind of supernatural timing around it. We decided that we were going to write a thorough examination of the book, uh, uh, which wound up being called Petrus Romanus, The Final Pope, is Here. Uh, if people are not familiar with what that is about, it's a 900-year-old prophecy. It's ascribed to uh, a, a, a Irish bishop by the name of Malachi Moraguer, who in uh, the 1100s wrote down a list. He had a vision, and he wrote down a list of 112 popes. Each of these popes would arrive in succession. He gave mottos. He gave ways to identify who the pope would be. And the final one would be Petrus Romanus. Well, uh, Pope number 111, next to the last, was um, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, Gloria Olive Uh, The Glory of the Olives. He was an Olivetan priest. Uh, And uh, so in 2011, we write this book. But in the book, uh, in addition to everything else that we did, we speculated that Pope Benedict was going to retire, that he was not going to die in office like popes for almost 600 years have done. It's been kind of, you know, the unspoken protocol. Popes don't resign. They just serve in office until they're dead. And we said, this Pope is not going to do that. Specifically in the book, Petrus Romanus, a year in advance of his resignation, we said, we have reasons to believe that he is going to retire and make way for the final Pope. Furthermore, we said, we believe, we strongly believe, that he is going to do this in April of 2012. Well, we were out there on television. Steve, you and I did radio on this, remember? Uh, Absolutely, and, and, and saying that this is what we believe is going to happen we believe that it's important there was a, a, a Jesuit, uh, a Belgian uh, priest by the name of René Thiebaud, uh and 64 years ago now he too said that the uh, uh, Gloria Olive is going to resign office in 2012 making the way for the final pope so there was a lot of Stuff, you know, uh, 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 investigation, some of this was metaphysical, some of it was gut feeling, some of it was revelation. But here's what happened. 2012 comes and goes, and Pope Benedict doesn't step down uh, publicly. And it's really weird because I was sending emails at that time to Chris Putnam, and I was saying, "Hey man, it's not over till it's over." <laughs> and then I would literally say to myself, "What in the world are you talking about? It's not over till it's over. You still the Pope. He hasn't stepped down. You missed it. You got the date wrong." But then now the world knows that uh, February 28, two thousand yeah two thousand and thirteen, uh, the Vatican announces that Pope Benedict has resigned. Uh and that very same day they gave an interview with the New York Times, the El Observatorio Romano, the official newspaper of the Vatican, gave an interview with the New York Times in which they admitted that Pope Benedict had actually officially and secretly resigned when he had returned from a trip in March of two thousand and twelve and made his resignation official to the Curia, just to a few insider cardinals, because remember at that time how they were having the wiki leaks and all that and and blabbermouth cardinals out there spilling the beans about everything so they were really tight-lipped about it and they started remodeling a building that the nuns had been using for housing that was going to then become housing for the emeritus pope and so we not only got it right we got it right to the month and to the year well my phone lit up putnam's phone lit up everybody in the world wanted to talk to us and as you said a moment ago, Steve, they figured we had an insider at the Vatican, and I laughingly said after the fact that if we would have told them our insider at the Vatican was the Holy Spirit, that really would have <laughs> freaked them out, right? <laughs> yeah, that
1: would, have, that would have melted down the pontiff.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, so everybody everywhere wants to talk to us. I was turning down everything, CNN, uh, History Channel, I told everybody no. Chris went on the History Channel, was part of their Nostradamus thing, and talked about it. But, uh, and, oh, by the way, while we got Doug and Joe Hagman here, Steve, you'll verify that this is true. Um, I've got to the point now where I've told Steve Quayle, I'm not interested in doing radio with anybody anymore. I want to quit doing radio, but I said I will always do radio with Steve Quayle on Hagman and Hagman. Is that true, Steve?
1: That is true, and uh, the sentiment is mine also, outside of the fact, and, and I, I say that, listen, this isn't a mutual love fest, but here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, when God sends two men down, and, and the engine is the Holy Spirit, and we're on track, we're literally on track, and Tom and I are, are co-investigating the same subject matter, obviously the title of our new DVD, two uh, DVD series, is The Unholy See, when you are through with tonight, you're going to see something that is so uh, strange and, uh, what did I say, wonderfully laid out of God knowing the end from the beginning. And so, Tom, I, I thank you for that, but that's my sentiment, too. After 25 years on talk radio and being told this and told that and accused this, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I shared this with Tom, I think it was 23 or 24 years ago, I'll have to check with Hawk, he remembers just about every one of my shows, I said you're going to watch Islam and Catholicism merge. You're also going to watch the greatest war in the Catholic Church. I'm not talking about a war of words. I'm talking a shooting war. You're going to watch that take place. Well, Tom, you know how that went over. You know. Well, uh, yeah, I'm and, crazy, and, I'm and, insane. You know, yeah, but then, and, then you you know, and, and the deal is is that There's no way I could have known that any more than you were directed, and Chris was used by the Lord. You guys are doing the same thing at the same time. God gave you that. So we're now at a position, because you know this, everybody basically has been the standard, the Ten Hills of Rome, the Holy Roman Empire, and Ben, that's not what you're saying or seeing, or that's not what I'm uh, saying or seeing either. So go ahead and proceed. But I just want you to know that I find it interesting, and I said this to my wife. I said twenty-two twenty three years ago, I was talking about it. Fast forward, and tonight, Tom and I are talking about the fulfillment of that. Now, is that cool or what?
3: Yeah, and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the Kume Sybil was talking about it, and this Pope and the Vatican today are behaving in a way that they believe it, and they're working to make it happen, which we'll get to uh, in, a, in a few minutes. Now, one thing you failed to, to say, and let me say it, Steve, is that our, our co uh, investigations. People think that because you and I are good friends and we go back for a long time in radio that we talk all the time and we always check with each other about what our... Inv- we, and we never do that. We never talk about what our investigations are uh, what we're what we're working on. And yet, time after time, like your new documentary film, uh, is absolutely a parallel to the work that Chris and I have been doing in secrecy for the last year on The Final Roman Emperor. And I want to really pitch your your documentary film. From the people that have seen it, uh, they say that it's the one of the best. Uh, it is the best thing that you've ever produced. One of the best things ever produced on the subject matter as and is extraordinarily well done. So uh, I was uh, humbled to get to be a small part of that, uh, in which we were actually talking about the second year of me and, and uh, Putnam's investigation, uh, which actually, even then, happened as a result of me being on radio with you. So, uh, And and recall, Steve, how um, after we accurately stated what we said we believe is going to happen with Pope Benedict, he's going to retire, he's going to happen in April, we did that a year in advance. We're both on television, and our book was in print before it happened, and it's also in the book Petrus Romanus, so there was no way to deny it everybody had to say, wow, you guys are fabulous guessers, right? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, so now we're out there doing radio with you. The whole world wants to ask us about that. And But if you recall, in 2011 and early 2012, there was another thing that was going on with the Vatican, and that is it had its top astronomers out there talking about astrobiology, and in specifically... They were saying some very loaded things. They were saying it's more likely than not that advanced extraterrestrial intelligence exists elsewhere in the universe. Furthermore, uh, Gabriel Jose Funes, who was the head of the Vatican Observatory Research Group at that time, and the top uh, uh, Catholic for the Vatican, he was out there saying, uh, I would baptize the aliens into the Catholic faith if they were to visit the Earth. Uh, Guy Consul Magno, who at that time was the, was the Pope's personal astronomer and has since taken uh, Jose Funes' place as the head of the Vatican Observatory Research Group, he too was saying we would baptize aliens uh, into the Catholic faith. But then suddenly something started changing, and this was why people started calling the shows we were doing, Steve. They started saying not only would it not be against Catholic faith to believe in extraterrestrial intelligence. But they said, actually, the heresy would be not to believe in advanced extraterrestrial intelligence because that would put limits on God's creative ability. And then from there, they ratcheted it up to an even more mysterious place where they started saying, and furthermore, uh, there is a point in the near future, uh, by the way, Tanzela Niti, who is an Opus Dei level. Uh, 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 bishop or, a priest in the Vatican who writes a lot of their doctrine and works at the Pope's, um, uh, uh, university in Rome, uh, said that soon we could be faced with information from an extraterrestrial source that might require us to have to reread and alter everything we've ever thought we knew about the gospel. Well, why in the world would he make such an extraordinary statement? Because they believe that extraterrestrial intelligence exists now why do they believe that well that's another mystery maybe or maybe not we'll get into that tonight we went deeply into that in book number two in this four-year investigation called exo-vaticana uh... but they say that these aliens are more likely to be morally superior to us. and what they mean by that is that what we know about ourselves is that we are fallen the fall of adam right and eve we are fallen Uh, But these aliens, maybe they didn't fall, and if they didn't fall, then they're closer to God than we are. They have a better understanding of the union of God and of the triune Godhead and whatever than what we do. And therefore, they said, it may not be us baptizing them into our faith when they come here, but rather it's going to be them baptizing us into their faith, into a perfected uh, understanding of the gospel. So... Stuff started getting really weird around the time that Benedict stepped down. And so when we were doing shows with you, Steve, and others, people were calling in and they were emailing us and they were saying, man, what do you guys make of what the Vatican is out there saying right now about aliens and they're morally superior and they're more likely than not to exist and blah, 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 they're our space brothers. Um, And Steve and I knew, I mean, uh, Chris and I knew that if we were really going to get to the bottom line, Uh, and get an authoritative answer, and not just come across as a couple of evangelicals taking cheap shots at the Vatican. The way we were going to have to do that is we were going to have to go to the top of Mount Graham in Arizona, where the Vatican has an advanced uh, technology telescope, and they're also part of the Mount Graham Observatory group. There's three telescopes up there. I'm not going to go into all that. But bottom line was I negotiated this through... The Arizona State University, if somebody wants a blow-by-blow and all the information, they can get the massive, it was our best-selling book of all time, get the massive book, Exo-Vaticana. It is extraordinarily well-researched, hundreds and hundreds of footnotes. We knew we had to cross every T and dot every I, right, on everything that we were saying. Chuck Misler said it's the best book ever written on the subject of astrobiology from a conservative Christian worldview. But we went to the top of Mount Graham. I, I got this set up. We went up there, we met with the Jesuit who was on duty that day, uh, they allowed us to walk all over the Vatican's telescope to see everything there, we went to the radio telescope, we ultimately wound up on the top of that mountain at the large binocular telescope, that's the largest uh, binocular telescope in the world, where the Lucifer device is at. We were shown the Lucifer device, uh, in fact if people watch the trailer, for the new book that's on the front of uh, uh, skywatchtv.com skywatchtv.com watch the uh, or or, yeah then scroll down the page and find the series we're running over there right now on uh, the final roman emperor you'll see the trailer and you'll see me and Chris uh, inside the uh, gigantic uh, observatory the large binocular telescope building up on the seventh floor And the man who spent four to five hours that day with us, one of their lead uh, technology guys, pointing at the middle of the binocular telescope, the twin mirrors, and saying this is the Lucifer device. Uh, And that's a piece of infrared technology that we believe is allowing them to monitor something that is approaching the Earth based on some things that Malachi Martin had said uh, in 2009, and which we verified with the Jesuit who was on duty there uh, that day. Anyway, bottom line, that was the second book, but it wasn't until we came down off of Mount Graham that we really were made to understand um, what was happening with that mountain, and the fact that the Apache, who had... um, Resisted the Vatican, actually joined environmentalists in Arizona to fight the Vatican and Arizona State University and NASA to try to keep them from building an observatory on the top of that mountain. Uh, it wasn't until we came off the mountain that we learned why the Apache wanted to fight them, and it was because they consider Mount Graham to be what you and I, Steve, would call a stargate, a doorway, a portal. <laughs>
1: Well, I think that, too, let's, let's just give everyone the name. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Lucifer device. It could have been named anything, but they named it Lucifer. large binocular telescope near-infrared utility with camera, an integral field unit for extragalactic research, ER. And what's fascinating to me, Tom, that when you guys found this out is we, we were able to corroborate a secret meeting there on Mount Graham where the Pope, never announced, went to that area to have a meeting, okay? That was interesting. Tim and, um, oh, good night, the film team are in Rome, and that little tidbit is thrown out there. And obviously you had confirmation when you were uh, sitting at the restaurant, did you not? So here's the thing. If it's a Stargate, now here's something that I want people to understand that's really, really critical at this point, that we just had the Pope return from Antarctica. We had uh, the entity in the White House house, and we had Kirill, the uh, uh, Russian Orthodox church head, all in in Antarctica, Patagonia. And what's fascinating, Tom, is in the special operations community, I was informed by somebody who's really well connected, that they're literally watching anomalous openings and gates powering up, okay? That's what Greg Evenson said on this show. And his source was a uh, multi-star or a single star, you know, when you're deal in generals, his his sources, I would tell you this, are impeccable. As a matter of fact, after we broke that news with Greg Evenson, broke it on Hagman and Hagman, you know, uh, the two of the mouthpieces that are, are telling Greg what's going on really wanted people to understand that this is no BS, they actually used a different word, and that the quote-unquote, the gates are opening. So when you first told people on this radio show that uh, Hagman and Hagman, about uh, uh, Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke, and it came on uh, the television series, I think it's on Netflix, I, you know, you blew my mind away. I had never read that, but what the aliens portrayed... uh, Uh, the way they were portrayed fits the description of the Vatican astronomers and also a multi-star general who drew it out very talented, I mean, you know amazing artist what's the chance of those three things happening? So the Pope has a secret meeting, you're dealing with the Stargates, the Native Americans know it's a Stargate, they name their telescope, binocular telescope and isn't it fascinating, it's a Bino telescope, I am absolutely blown away by what corollary uh, confirmation, there you go, uh, by the Spirit of the Living God is doing. Now, people, this is real stuff. This isn't Tom and Steve just having passed some mushrooms. You know, by the way, I'm in Montana right now, and Tom is in Missouri. So, you know, you've got to understand this. This is such a a how should this is such a God in His love for His creation opening up all this stuff and Tom I just I was blown away at what your unfettered access there Do you want to go into what that guy told you in the restaurant
3: Yeah, well it wasn't a restaurant. We what had happened was we. We were uh, we met with a guide. You cannot go up to the top of Mount Graham, by the way. If somebody's listening to this show and if they're thinking, well, I'm just going to go check it out for myself, <laughs> you won't get anything but arrested and thrown in jail. You cannot go to the top of Mount Graham uh, unless you work this out through Arizona State University like we did. Uh, and you have to be taken up there by a guide that works for the observatory. That's the only way you get up there. You go up uh... you know two-thirds of the way up the mountain you run into these giant uh... fences they're really high you can't climb over them they got barbed or razor wire around the top of them you know two or three signs in all kinds of languages spanish chinese whatever american talking about all the horrible things they're going to do to you if you come over the top of that gate so you can't get up there unless you're invited well what happens is the the road is really windy a lot of switchbacks and uh... I had taken some stuff to help me with that at the base of the hill. Joe Artis didn't and Chris Putnam didn't, and halfway up the hill they were sure wishing they would have.
0: Um,
3: But um, about two-thirds of the way up the mountain, there's a campground uh, that was built um, during Roosevelt's New Deal when they were creating jobs, basically, uh, for people that were survivors of the Great Depression. And uh, so we, he said, we're going to stop here, we're going to have a lunch, and then from here we'll go on up the mountain. So we go inside there, and there's a guy, he's the caretaker of the, uh, the lodge, if you will, and he's got a fire going, and he's sitting there mixing some wood up in the fire and it's all crackling. So we get our sandwiches, and I go over and I sit down by him. And he starts asking me what we're doing, and I was not trying to give him very much information well, you know we're we're going up to Mount Graham, we're going up to the top of the mountain to the observatory up there and blah blah blah, and Chris is sitting there next to me and Joe, and all of a sudden the guy that's stirring the fire you know he's you can tell he's been around a long time, one of those old dudes that has seen a lot, right and uh <laughs> he looks at me and he says, uh he says, uh well, he said." Why are you going up there? And so we give him a little bit of information. We're not trying to tell him what we're doing. And he said, hmm, He said it wouldn't have nothing to do with the Pope's visit, would it? And we're looking at him like, what in the world are you talking about, right? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, the Pope. He said he come down there in a helicopter the other day and had this visit. And so he's just telling us. So what was funny is we didn't even include that information in the book. Uh, and and there, and we didn't talk about it publicly, and therefore that was another one of those things where when Timothy Alberino is at the Vatican and he got, I don't know how much I can say about this. He got behind the door. Yeah, you said, can you can
1: say you can say whatever you want about it because it's in the new you know documentary, and we're not well. Some of the it the is. He, he,
3: yeah, I mean, what 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 he was able, to, he got connected to the right people, and what Timothy was able to do. I mean, he got into the Jesuit headquarters. Now that there again. This is not just, you don't just, you know, you don't just drive to Rome and say, I want to visit with the Jesuit, you know, leadership. But he got inside, and so what was ironic was in there he learned about the Pope's visit to Mount Graham. Well, Timothy didn't know what this guy on the mountain had told us, and Joe and Chris do and can verify the story that I'm telling you. So there again, that was like uh, out of the mouth of two witnesses, right? There was a verification. What in the world is the Pope doing, flying to the top of Mount Graham, right, uh, to visit with them there about whatever's going on? Well, then uh, uh, Timothy's, uh, you know, authorities that are able to get him past the guards into the Jesuit headquarters at the Vatican. Uh, he asked them. He says, "Really?" And he's listening to some of the stuff they're saying, and he says. Have you ever read the book by Chris Putnam and Tom Horn, Exo Vaticana? Well they said they had never even heard of it. But they're telling him everything that we had confirmed and the fact that they are monitoring something from the top of Mount Graham that is approaching the earth using the Lucifer device, everything the Jesuit on duty there that day had told us. But then the his well maybe I shouldn't say I shouldn't say anything about the Stargate. He what the guy takes Yeah, I won't say anything about it. People need to get the new documentary. I'm not even sure if it's in the documentary where they went from there, because some of that stuff is really highly guarded. And Timothy was telling me that you know there's parts of that he can't talk about. But bottom line is, Steve, it all verifies exactly what you're saying. This Stargate technology is something very real. When when we went to Mount Graham. The, one of the questions that I asked the Jesuit who was on duty that day, and Guy Con Magno, who is who we had hoped to meet there that day, was not there. So I contacted him from Rome and the head of the Vatican Observatory Research Group, who, who is on tour right now going around the world with his new book and his seminary or his uh, seminar is titled "Would You Baptize an Alien?" So they keep talking about this stuff. Uh, he gave me five interviews uh via the internet from Rome so we were able to get to really the authoritative voices on all this um, but it it all goes back to our old friend Malachi Martin when Malachi was asked in 2009 uh by uh you know coast to coast am art bell and he said father why did the vatican force themselves onto the top of a mountain in southeastern arizona To build an observatory, and what are they doing up there? And you can go in people can go and YouTube this and listen to Malachi's answer. He said it's because they know, at the highest levels of Vatican governance and uh, jurisprudence, what is approaching the Earth, and that it will be of the utmost importance in coming years. And Malachi, uh, he that ignited a firestorm. But he suggested that it would be within a decade or so when he thought whatever this was that is approaching the earth uh, would become very, very important. And about 10 years to the date, after that, what happened? 2009, the Vatican. So this is two years before we write the book Petrus Romanus. Um, the Vatican convenes a study week on astrobiology at the Pope's summer residence in Gondolfo, Italy. So they invite all these people. Uh, to come to, you know, uh, to Italy, to Rome, and it's something like, I forget how many, by the way, 40 or 50, whatever it is, top astronomers, uh, geologists, theologians. But what are they doing? They come together to study one thing, and that is what will the impact on the Earth's religions be given the disclosure or the discovery of advanced extraterrestrial intelligence? Almost 10 years to the day, right when Malachi said this is going to start becoming important. 90 days after that, the Royal Society, so now we're talking about the oldest scientific body in the world, they come together to celebrate their 350-year anniversary. And of all things that they could pick, what do they pick? People can Google this and read it. They pick a, a subject matter called Alien Detection and the Implications for Society. And people from around the world, again, experts from around the world, including representatives, astronomers from the Vatican, go and they have these closed-door meetings in which Lord Martin Reeves, who was the, the, the Queen's astronomer at that time and the head of the Royal Society, he said, aliens are staring us right in the face in ways that the world is not even aware of. And they talked about extraordinary evidence of this and that. And so, by the way, at the time, because we couldn't get behind those closed doors, I assembled my own uh, gathering of 20 of the world's leading experts to talk about what do you think it is they're talking about behind closed doors, and when we release our book next week, that's only one, all 20 hours of those interviews is only one of the literally hundreds of things that we're giving away with this final book, because this is the final one, the final case, the last thing we have to say on the subject matter, but Uh, So, And we're doing this, uh, I would want the public to also know this, if you're watching this current uh, special investigative report at Skywatch TV, if you're watching it on TV or on the Roku channels or on YouTube, the reason the first two weeks of that five-week report was with Steve Quayle is because his brand-new documentary has everything in the world to do with how this all began Uh, at Mount Graham, but the much bigger revelations that Timothy Alberino uncovered in Rome, and I'm just going to say this cryptically, the Stargate that he was shown there, I hope I'm not saying I'm not... You know something i 'm not supposed to say here um, no no listen then,
1: you you 've got freedom to say whatever you want because again it 's so critical because in the next hour, Tom, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I tell Tom, I said one of these days when God just gives us supernatural strength and ability, this will be a three hour introduction to the end times <laughs> in a manner and a way that you 've probably never considered it i 'll tell you this that we 're talking about. You know, Tom, a moral superior, you know, they're talking about the Vatican's statements, a moral superior uh, alien, if you will, civilization. Well, trust me, if they're morally superior, they're not showing up on Earth to molest women, take their eggs, and in all the various uh, sexual uh, positions, pun intended, the aliens get themselves into, I would question the moral superiority. It sounds to me like a return, and you know... I know and we all know what's really going on here. What they're doing is presenting another gospel. They're presenting their alien, uh, if you will, their plot, their plan, their scheme, in order to seduce mankind away from God's Word, from His redemption, and from Jesus. So so what, what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, remember this, we're talking about the largest group of, of believers, and is it not astonishing to you, Tom? Let me throw this in as an aside because i don 't get something. Maybe you can explain to me how how are and if any traditional Catholics want to email me that 's fine by the way i 'm not beating up on Catholics all i 'm okay. saying is this that which they have believed for centuries is now being thrown out the the door, and there's kind of a, if you will, there's those that still want to defend, quote, the Pope at all costs, but here's a guy that is absolutely bringing in the very thing your book is talking about. And when you wrote the title to your book, I'm talking about the fourth book, Uh, and I guess is it safe to say this will be the final book of this series?
3: It is the final book of this series.
1: Okay, but how... How strange today! You saw this story, you know, the Pope and an imam have a special meeting, okay? And the deal is the Pope has done everything to be the ultimate ecumenicist and also to basically challenge the divinity of Jesus, the position of Jesus Christ, and basically I have yet to hear him make one biblical statement that he doesn't twist against the original intention of the Scripture. Saying that, my question to you, Tom, How many of the people that contact you, or maybe, I don't know if this is even fair, traditional Catholics are starting to see that what you wrote about in the different books, Petrus Romanus, Exo-Vaticana, Path of the Immortals, which we'll talk about, and now your final uh, book, the thing is, is that are they starting to get it? I mean, are you being contacted from different places and people saying, now I see, because I'll tell you this. Uh, you know, there, when we get into this in the second hour, people's minds will be blown. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about prophecies that are 900 years old. We're talking about prophecies that are 2,000 years old. And we're talking about not when the days come to pass uh, that this will be on the scene. This stuff's on the scene right now. So uh, are you being contacted by people who are traditional Catholics saying, boy, because, you know, you guys, and, and you're very humble, and God bless you for that, because a man's gift makes way for him, but the Bible says give credit to him, credit to him. Honored to whom the honors due, and I am absolutely blown away. Uh, for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, you need to go on skywatchtv.com dot com, and you need to go and read the first uh, installment of this episode. Go there today, and then you know, go on the story, and then go to one, two, and three. Because Tom, your uh, your encounter with God in heaven when you died, and you know, when you're dead for 15 minutes, I say that counts as being dead. Taken to heaven and showing this stuff, yet the Lord. Said, to you, I'm going to seal this up. You won't remember. But the implication was, or implied is that when it's time, I'll let you remember. And I think that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand something. You can't hit it out of the ballpark and call it a foul if it's straight line over second base. So what I'm saying is, that's baseball terminology. I I know nothing about sports, but I guess I know (laughs) the baseball diamond. But the thing is, is that that's probably the most phenomenal call I know in real time prior to the event. And so you know me. I'm I'm on hour one with you, and I want to get to hour three, but we'll deal with this in a logical way. Are there Catholics contacting
3: you? Yeah, well, and by the way, that was true with Petrus Romanus. That was true with exa Vaticana. That was true with the last book, On the Path of the Immortals. Uh, each of those times, but especially in the first two, Petrus Romanus as well as uh, uh, exa Vaticana, uh, we did have conservative Catholics. We can talk about some of those later if you want to, who are, who are very concerned. Uh, but look, people don't have to take our word for it. If you want to go out there right now and Google uh, what some of the conservative Catholics themselves are saying, some of them are convinced that Pope Francis is actually the false prophet. So there are, uh, there are conservative Catholics and mystics, those who either prophesy or give translations to Catholic prophecies, um, who believe that the church right now is moving to fulfill La Salette, moving to fulfill Fatima, moving to fulfill the prophecy of the Pope, in that the church is moving toward great apostasy. And by the way, uh, in the second and third hour, when we talk about uh, the final Roman emperor, um, that is one of the was up through the fifteenth century one of the most famous prophecies of the Cumae Sibyl, which was adopted even early church fathers like Justin actually quoted these prophecies, uh, and it turned into what others call the Holy Pope legend, meaning that they believe that at the end of time there's going to come a great Roman emperor who's going to work with the final pope, uh, and they're going to establish a dictatorship over the world. And so if you go to Google right now and Google the stuff that you and I are talking about, you don't got to get it from Tom Horn and Chris Putnam. You'll find literally dozens of Catholic blog sites and Catholic websites, especially conservative ones out there right now, that are saying that they are very, very concerned that Pope Francis might actually be the false prophet of the Book of Revelation. Um, but uh, one quick thing before we go. How soon are we to the first break?
2: we got about uh, ten minutes.
3: Okay. Uh, before we go to the first break, uh, you, you actually asked me several questions, starting with the question that was, Uh, fielding off of this idea about uh, Mount Graham and the Pope visiting up there and what in the world are these, uh, you know, astronomers for the church talking about with these morally superior aliens. Um, I ask uh, church scholars in the Roman Catholic Church why uh, they believe in morally superior aliens and, and in particular, Guy Consolmagno. So now imagine this. Guy Consolmagno today is probably the most important church astronomer for the Vatican. And after we wrote Exo-Vaticana and we exposed some of what he had written in his own book, we didn't take him out of context. We only quoted his book himself, which is another story, by the way. When his book was re- was released, uh, Extraterrestrials and the Catholic Faith, or whatever it's called, um, I ordered a copy from the from the uh, Truth Society, which is a Vatican-owned uh, publishing house, never got a copy, ordered it again, never got a copy, got in contact with them, and they said it's being pulled. And, and that book was pulled basically the same day it was released, and then there was even a concerted effort to collect every copy that had ever been sold and to get it out of the market. So that, that made it even more mysterious to me. Why in the world were they doing that? So when I got a hold of a Brother Guy Consul Magno, he very graciously agreed to be interviewed, uh, he was in Rome at the time at the, at the Pope's Summer Palace. He's the keeper of the Vatican's collection of meteorites and other things, T-H-I-N-G-S, that have fallen from out of the sky that the Vatican has today. Some people say, think Ben Ben Stone, stuff like that. But anyway, he's the keeper of all that stuff. I got a hold of him, and I told him, we have been at Mount Graham. Uh, we had hoped to talk with you. You weren't there. Uh, would you be willing to give us an interview? And me and Chris Putnam uh, put together a whole list of questions and went back and forth with him five different times. Well, the very first interview, before he knew that we were going to ask him some some tough questions, I said, hey, your book, Intelligent Life in the Universe, uh, uh, is not available anywhere. I can't find it anywhere. I can't buy a used copy. I can't anything. Would it be possible to get a copy? And he sent me his PDF copy of Intelligent Life in the Universe, Catholic Belief and the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligent Life. Um, And now I'm making that book available free with our book next week. It's part of the data library. By the way, we have a data library now that's all four years of our investigation. It is literally tens of thousands of pages of research material, ancient documents you can't find anywhere. They're not they're not available anywhere in the world. Uh, if it's, it's Everything that we did to track down all this material, we're giving all that away free with a whole bunch of other stuff, by the way, over $200 worth of books and other stuff. But that data library is a gold mine. Well, it has Consul Magno's book in it, Intelligent Life in the Universe, and that's the only thing we took our quotes from, in the book Exo-Vaticana, because we knew that it was so explosive that if we said that he said these things, people would say we were liars. Well, we took those quotes, we published the book. It put so much heat on the Vatican and on Guy Consul Magno that he literally had to go on the uh, observatory website several different times to kind of defend himself <laughs> against some of the stuff that he had said. But here's part of what he said, Steve, to answer your question. I mean, you're talking about... You know, uh, the, these aliens being morally superior, but you're comparing them to alien activity, the abduction of people. So I get a hold of him and I say, look, this is like halfway through the interview. It's interview number three or so. I say, uh, some of the scholars in the Vatican Church believe in morally superior aliens. Uh, and I want to ask you where there could be an example of these morally superior aliens who might come in the future to share the secrets of heaven that's going to cause us to have to change our understanding of the gospel. And he literally points to Genesis chapter 6, and he says, well, are you not aware? Genesis chapter 6, the, there were giants in the earth in those days, and, also, and he starts quoting all of that, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm mystified, first of all, that he's, he was, he's using a portion of Scripture that you and I would say was demonic activity, fallen angel activity. He's pointing to that as an example of advanced, morally superior aliens who visited the earth a long time ago. Uh, so I, I ask him about that, and he says, Well, haven't you read John 10:16? Another Sheep I Have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring? And they shall hear my voice. This is the point he makes. They shall hear my voice. And they shall be one fold and one shepherd. And he uses that, and he says this. And now, by the way, this is a quote right out of his book, Intelligent Life in the v- Universe. But he quotes it to me in the email. He says, perhaps it is not so far-fetched, therefore, to see the second person of the Trinity, the Word, talking about Jesus, who was present in the beginning, John 1.1, 1, 1, coming to lay down his life and to take it up again, John 10.18, listen, not only as the Son of Man, but also as a child of these other races. And I fired an email back to him and I said, Brother Colin Simagno, really? Do Vatican scholars actually believe that Jesus might have been the star child of an alien race? I mean, do you... And other Jesuits secretly hold that the virgin birth was, in reality, an abduction scenario in which Mary was impregnated by E.T. and gave birth to the hybrid Jesus, and that was the end of it. As soon as I sent that email, that was the last of it. He wouldn't respond to me again after that. But every quote that we make is actually from his book, and I'm willing to give the book away. We are giving it away. Uh, on the data library with the release of our fourth and final book. So, so Steve, when you say, uh, you know, they're talking about these morally superior aliens and they come down and they rape people and they give birth to hybrid children and yada, 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 yeah, as a matter of fact, as extraordinary as it is, that is what some of the top theology writers at the Vatican right now actually believe.
1: Well, and, and again, I think it's critical that everyone understands this. When when the Word of God says great deception, and, you know, Tom, we don't have time to go into it, but the Aviary was a, if you will, a group of really high-ranking, high-security clearances, and they claimed they were a private group of guys that got together, a guy named Paul Benowitz. Uh, Benowitz overheard uh, transmissions that were inadvertently in- intercepted, you know, from the base. And... uh, Kirtland Air Force Base talking about UFOs and aliens. A long story short is they claim to have discs, like literally video discs of Jesus being uh, crucified and of Jesus meeting with his alien progenitors. Okay? So the whole UFO are gods, you know, is the basis of aliens, uh, the ancient alien series. And let me just let the cat out of the bag. Uh, when you find out that, by the way, I think Zachariah Sitchin was probably one of the greatest researchers of our time. But when you find out his proximity to the Jesuits and that they were the founding source behind the funding source and the founding source of his whole dialogue of the Anunnaki, let me make it easy for everyone. The Anunnaki, nothing more than fallen angels. Genesis chapter 6, okay, verse 4. And, and, and numbers 1333 and all the different places it appears in the scripture and contrary to one woman who said you take obscure scriptures out and make a whole theology around it It said ma'am you're talking about the basis of evil and Jesus in John or John and talks about Jesus that for this purpose was the son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the evil one Tom what happens when the Vatican makes the announcement that they live and they've been here amongst us and now mankind faces a global destruction from whatever made up or real forces that are, uh, you know, manifesting to destroy mankind. But the Savior of the world, not Jesus, will come on the scene in the place of Jesus Christ. I think what's going to be important for us to deal with the next hour is, number one, the prophecy of the command Sybil, you know, and, and let's let people understand that the devil has ruled through secret societies and arcane and occult, which means hidden knowledge, and now the, uh, if you will, the explosion, I love the word preternatural. Preternatural, you call it preternatural, I call it preternatural. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's like gnosis and gnosis and you know hal- halitosis. But the point being is, is that we're we're talking about something that has been so far off the radar screen, and even the mental shock of people that uh, how do I say this that are are still trying to cope with the Vatican's transition from what I would call at least a basic biblical representation on a, a number one Jesus. Is still hanging on a cross, you know. What's our new symbol going to be? A UFO uh, uh, our, behind hey, the Steve.
0: cross? exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again, as Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link, Stained by Blood.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to hour number two of this Monday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We have a very special show tonight. The title of the show, Endgame, The Final Roman Emperor, Islamic Antichrist, and the Vatican's Role. We are joined by Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Tom Horn from Skywatch TV. Chris Putnam uh, was going to join us tonight but had a uh, unfortunate accident. He's okay. He hurt his hand. Uh, keep him in your prayers uh, for healing and uh, the first hour has just been fantastic full of some great information by both Steve and Tom Horn. we're going to turn it over to Steve in hour number two and we're going to pick up right where we left off
1: well ladies and gentlemen I think tonight is going to be a pivotal moment what Tom and I have learned from these 17 years 16 years whatever being on the radio together when he releases something and it seems like uh, I get to be the second witness, and we get to witness to each other's stuff. God does something, and this is a sense I have in my spirit tonight. So, Tom, you wanted to finish off something, because I think it's really critical that people cannot understand the rise of radical Islam and the embracing of radical Islam by the Vatican until they understand the prophecy of the Comedian, civil and also, you know, the last Roman emperor, so, I mean, we're not just, uh, quote, telling people what's in the future, we're telling them what's going on right now, so go ahead and finish your point, sir. I don't want to cut you off anyway.
3: Yeah, you know, because the underlying theme behind uh, the Kume Sibyl's prophecy, uh, what we found out at Mount Graham. Um, the idea that there are uh, Vatican intellectuals who believe the earth is getting ready to be visited by supernatural in, uh, you know, uh, intelligence from another world all of those different themes in their own way really talk about one thing that is the earth is getting ready to be visited by a super so whether you call him the, the antichrist in the book of revelation whether you call him the last roman emperor from 15th century prophecy whether it's the kume sigil Sybil prophesying that Apollo is actually going to return to give birth to a new golden age. All of the both occultic and biblical prophetic utterances tell us that a time is coming where a a man is going to appear on the earth and he is going to be the ruler of the final earthly empire just before the second coming of Jesus Christ And the book of Revelation calls him the Antichrist. But Now, is this going to be some person that suddenly appears on the political world scene that seems to have the answers to everything? Is this going to be something different coming down from heaven? Uh, When we went to the break a moment ago, you were talking about, you know, why in the world (coughs) do these Vatican authorities believe that we are going to be visited, that it's more likely than not that we're going to be visited by uh, intelligence from another dimension that's going to require us to have to change everything we've ever known about the gospel. So the only point I wanted to make to kind of follow up on the the last thing that you had said before we went to the commercial is that when you look at the Bible and what it says about the Antichrist, it does lead you to believe that it could include um, some kind of deception that the world will perceive as being extraterrestrial. Uh, in other words, like second Thessalonians 2: nine where it says the Antichrist will appear with lying signs and wonders. Uh, Luke twenty one where it says his coming is going to be marked by fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Is that what Malachi Martin was talking about that's approaching the earth on Mount Graham? Um, that the Antichrist and the false prophet are described as being aligned. Actually, with the powers of the air, and they're able to call down fire from heaven, Revelation 13 says. Um, one of the most intriguing of all of these kind of verses that may work together is Daniel, who says that the Antichrist is actually going to champion the worship of a strange alien god. By the way, if you read that in the Hebrew, that's exactly what he's saying. The, uh, Daniel 11, 39, in his estate, I'm reading this now, King James, right? Shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stone and pleasant things? Thus shall he do in the strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. Um, Several parts of that prophecy, uh, and and I've read this from the best scholarship out there, uh, stand out as very unusual, very strange language. First of all, this God of forces, or alternately the God of fortresses. In the Hebrew, that's connected to Baal Shaman, but it literally means the Lord of the heavens, the Lord of the out there. Uh, this Now, the Gnostics later worshipped that deity, God of the fortresses, as the greatest angel of light, or so in other words, Lucifer. Um, but the second part of that verse, where it says he's a strange god, the Hebrew text there can literally be rendered an alien god. So there is reasons to believe that the Vatican is operating based on something they think they know. And that was part of um, the second book, Exo Vaticana. By the way, I'm gonna do something. I just hang on a second here. I'm making this up as I go. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah that I know that that uh, makes your order department just happy i've I've seen it happen in real time, ladies and gentlemen, where Tom comes up with the i would say this a spur of the moment deal of the century
3: well, they're going to really hate me for this, but Because what it does is, you know, they they get these special deals put together and then they know that they can use a flat rate box that will deliver anywhere in the U.S. for a certain amount of money. And then I come on radio and do something different. It just throws everything off. But I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Because there are a lot of people out there um, who are tuning in for the first time. And I know, by the way, our Roku channel, or Skywatch TV now, is probably at 1.5 million program plays per month. We know that we're picking up, and that's just Roku. That's not our cable networks. That's not that's not our, our YouTube. That's not anything. Um, so we know we're picking up an awful lot of new followers that may not know anything about what we're talking about tonight, and they certainly have never read any of these first three books. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, next week, one week plus one day from now, on Tuesday the 31st, we are releasing the the new book, The Final Roman Emperor, The Islamic Antichrist, and The Vatican's Last Crusade at SkywatchTV.com. Um, we already are giving away over $200 for the books, movies, the dated uh, disc, all this stuff. We're giving it away. And you can go over there right now. There's a, a, a YouTube on the top of SkywatchTV.com. You can watch that giveaway. It's the biggest giveaway of 2016 with this book. But, but if you do go there, starting on Tuesday of next week, and if you buy that book, when you go into the comments box at checkout, type in, I heard you on Hagman and Hagman, and I'm going to make sure that they send you the other $60 worth of these first books. The first book, Petrus Romanus. The second book, Exo Vaticana. And last year's best-selling book, The Path of the Immortals. All three of those books, all three of them have been best-selling books in the classical sense, uh, and I'm going to make sure they give you those as well as all that other stuff they're giving you. So, But you have to type into the comments box, I heard you on Hagman and Hagman. Anyway, <clears throat> and I'll take a lot of heat from that, but I'm going to do it, because um, people that are listening to this, especially for the first time, may not have a clue what we're talking about, and I want them to have uh, those books, this, this four years of research, um, now uh, the final, uh, so we we do need to move on to this last book and talk about the Kume Sibyl. Um, but the final thing I'd want to say carried over from the first hour was uh, when we came down from Mount Graham, and this is what ultimately forced us to write book number three, The Path of the Immortals. Um, it was not until we came down off Mount Graham that I even understood why the Apache had been in a war with the Vatican and NASA and uh, Arizona State University to try to stop them from building the observatory on Mount Graham. So I had made an assumption. (coughs) I went on Sid Ross, It's Supernatural, I went on the radio with you, Steve, I went on the Jim Baker show, and I kept saying this same line. I kept saying that the Apache and other indigenous people had uh, joined uh, environmentalists in Arizona to fight uh, the Vatican to try to keep them from going up on the top of that mountain because Mount Graham was, for them, holy ground. And what I meant by that was uh, they the Apache had been there ahead of everybody else. Therefore, their mothers, foremothers and forefathers had died, lived and died on that mountain. And so it was like a graveyard. And, you know, taking all this big machinery up there to build this giant observatory research center, was going to disturb the mountain and might break the bones of their, you know, of their uh, dead ancients, and so it was kind of like a graveyard. So I was on TV and radio and whatever saying that. Well, <clears throat> I had just got off Sid Roth's supernatural saying that, and I get an email, and this is a guy who is a member of the Apache Nation. And he wanted me to know that while what I had said was okay, it was true enough that that's true, obviously, that it's like a graveyard, and that's part of why they didn't want him up there, but that was not the issue. And this was the day the light went on in my head. He said the issue, the reason that the Apache Nation did not want the Vatican going on to the top of Mount Graham is because Mount Graham is one of the four holiest mountains, in all of the world, for all American indigenous people, and it is, he said, because Mount Graham is what you would call a stargate, a doorway, a portal, a strategic geographic location through which entities have entered into and exited from Earth's three-dimensional reality since the dawn of time. Well, Steve, when he told me that, I'm telling you what the conspiracy meter in my head went off the Richter scale because immediately I started thinking, wait a minute, the fact that the Vatican was willing to go to federal court and fight to be on this mountain, I mean, had always been a mystery to me. Why not just go to another mountain, find the same elevation, same find the same environmental situations, find an area where the community would love to have you because they think maybe you're going to bring some economy to that area. Why go through all this trouble? This then made metaphysical sense to me, that the Vatican wanted on the top of that mountain because this mountain was something different than what most of us can even begin to comprehend. Well, the first thing I did was I ran out and vetted what I had heard. I made sure that was true. Uh, but, But the wheels started turning in my head, and ultimately it led to me sending Chris Putnam and a film crew to back to Mount Graham, as well as Sedona, Arizona, and that whole kind of, you know, uh, uh, um, eastern tip of the what they call the Anasazi Trail, while I went to the Four Corners. And now I think that kind of brings people up to where we are now because I think everybody knows pretty much the story about me going to the Four Corners, meeting with, uh, you know, a fourth-generation gener- uh, thir- uh, uh, yeah, fourth Medicine Man, and all the stuff that we did in the book On the Path of the Immortals that had to do with this question. Is this idea that Mount Graham is a portal, is that just like a New Age idea, is that an American Indian idea, or is there, is there a biblical precedent for this idea that there are strategic locations of the earth that are doorways, gateways, And once we started down that road, we couldn't even read the Bible the same way anymore because you look in the Old Testament and you definitely see the mountain of God, Mount Zion. You see that if Moses is going to meet with God, he's got to go to the top of the Mount of Sinai. Uh, But then you come into the New Testament, you hear Jesus saying from henceforth, uh, you will see the windows, the gateways of heaven open, and angels ascending and descending, you go into the prophetic book, Jesus returns and his feet touch down on the top of Mount Hermon, so the whole Bible started reading entirely different to us, and that's pretty much what the book, The Path of the Immortals is all about, and one final thing, Steve, is that you were talking earlier in the first hour about stargates and doorways. The Path of the Immortals has a lot to say about stargates and doorways, but not just that at one time in ancient times they opened, through which the giants emerged uh, onto the earth, but the New Testament, and especially the prophetic text, we concluded that this is the most overlooked aspect of end times biblical prophecy, that not only did those gates open once before, but they are prophesied to open once again. And that the giants that are contained within the belly of the earth are going to emerge onto the surface of the earth that's that's biblically prophetic
1: well, and I think that obviously the idea that is going to come into everyone's uh Reality With even a semblance of uh, ability to think, is that this whole thing is a supernatural, multi dimensional setup, okay? And when we say uh, to people, you better understand what's happening because if you don't, you're going to be uh, swallowed up by it. This is why Jesus said, and Tom, the light went off for me the night you and I were doing radio, I don't know, five, seven years ago, whenever, and you talked about the gates of hell. Up until that point, that scripture had never entered into my spirit. And I've been writing about this stuff, you know, but then I saw it, and it was my time to see that. So, you know the thing that I think is critical for people to understand is: look, there is a war going on. It is not optional. It is not well. I, I think I need to take a break and go play my video game, or excuse me, the Super Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Hula Bowl, the Happy Bowl, and the Toilet Bowl are all on right now. And I just want, I just want to uh, take a break from reality. Well, the ultimate divorce from reality is the fact that this stuff is playing out. It's it's playing out in the theaters. It's playing out in movies. It's playing out in the headlines. You know, 100 people. You carried the story on, on Skywatch. 100 kids getting demon possessed by a dark man. The uh, amount of uh, the, the werewolf in London. It's not a song by, uh, uh, I forget who first sang that, but now they're, they're werewolf sightings. People are having preternatural events. Now, again, this is, this is what's going to happen. And the gates of hell will not prevail, but if they're not going to prevail, it certainly doesn't say they're not going to attempt to. So let's get to the uh and Sybil right now, because basically on your new work, and I think, I, uh, by the way, I love the title, okay? You know me. I want Tom Horn's bottom line, okay? And this is the bottom line. The, the final Roman emperor, the Islamic Antichrist, and the Vatican's last crusade. How many times have we heard that the, you know, the Vatican, or that, forgive me, that the Holy Roman Emperor, Empire, the ten nations, blah blah blah. I remember saying twenty years ago, what happens if that's Islamic nations? And I I think one guy, a newsletter writer, called it Islamistan. And now we've got the absolute playing out of this. And for the record, ladies and gentlemen, you know you're you're going to be blown away at how fast this thing takes foot. So Tom, sure if you would, because I think I think this is the most amazing thing that that when you guys were working on the background for part four. You know, uh, of your series, the final Roman emperor, the Islamic Antichrist, and the Vatican's last crusade, how uh, the Sibyls, if you will, the prophetesses, and I would say hell's mouthpieces, play so important a role, and that the Vatican believes them. Can you lay that out, sir? Yeah.
3: Um, so let me let me first talk about um, the basic premise of the book, and I wish now that I had Chris Putnam here because he did a great deal of the research into the prophecies of the Kume Sibyl as it involves the final Roman Emperor, but I can summarize it as I'm obviously I'm part of the book. The, the last Roman Emperor, or uh, what? Uh, if you're out there Googling about this, you might turn up um, the uh, great Catholic monarch, which is what some of the Catholics also believe. And by the way, if you're listening to this show, this is not something me and Putnam just made up. This is a belief that was experienced believed by the Vatican itself, by the popes, by the theologians of the Church, all the way up through the 15th century. But even to this day, there are Catholic television shows, blog sites, in which they totally believe in this coming Catholic monarch, and some of them are tying it with the arrival of Pope Francis. Now, why? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. So, this is a legend. It, it, it actually developed Um, this eschatology of the Roman Catholic Church that predicted that in the end time there was going to be um, a last emperor and he would appear on earth, he would reestablish the Holy Roman Empire uh, and he would stall the coming of the Antichrist and according to ancient interpretation of the prophecy the reign of this uh, emperor or monarch would be connected to the arrival of the final pope. So that's what makes this very, very important. Uh, and, and between the two of them, according to Catholic hope, they're going to restore Christendom to its rightful state after a period of uh, apostasy. Um, the, pro- <laughs> excuse me, the prophecy was originally given by one of the Apollinian sibyls, which we'll define that more in a moment, the sibyls of Apollo. Um, this one in particular is sometimes called the Tiberteen Sybil. Um, and let me read you just a part of the prophecy, so that you understand kind of where you know, part of the background to the upcoming book is coming from. Here's part of the prophecy, uh, in which he allegedly said under unction. She said this uh, final emperor, he's going to be, quote, the king of the Romans and the Greeks, He's going to be tall of stature, of handsome appearance, with shining face. He's going to put together in all parts, or well put together in all parts of his body. But he is going to devastate all of the islands and the cities of the pagans and will destroy all idolatrous temples. Let me jump in here for a moment, Um, and, and not to confuse people, but when you look at the title of our book, The Final Roman Emperor, The Islamic Antichrist, and the Vatican's Last Crusade. Some people think that that title implies that Chris and I believe that the Antichrist is going to be Muslim. And that is not what the title of that book is talking about. Uh, Joel Richardson is a friend of mine, but we are not talking about his thesis about the Islamic Antichrist. What we are talking about, and which you will discover in the book, is that what Islam, uh, the radical Islamists today, ISIS, for instance, what they believe about the coming of their Mahdi was actually plagiarized hundreds of years ago from this prophecy of the Kume Sibyl. They took it and they Islamified it, if you will, to be a prophecy about the coming of their end times Mahdi, while the Catholics took this prophecy of the Kume Sibyl and they Christianized it or they Catholicized it to be the coming of the leader of the Vatican. Uh, and so both of these actually are derived from an ancient prophecy of the Kume Sibyl, who's actually talking about the coming of Apollo. So, if that helps you. But but in the in this uh, uh, of prophecy, it expands on the coming of this god Apollo and says that he is going to drive all the pagans out and destroy all idolatrous temples. That is why you see the Islamists right now tearing down all these pagan temples, destroying all this stuff that they think belongs to the pagans, killing even Muslims who don't agree with their point of view or their faith, because they believe that that is part of their prophesied duty to wipe out the infidels and to wipe out the apostates. Um, The Catholics, however, believe that the coming Roman emperor is going to work with the final pope, and they're going to purify... Catholicism. They're going to drive out all the apostates within Catholicism. Now, keep that in mind, because in a little bit I want to make a point about some of the stuff Pope Francis is doing. But let me get back to the prophecy. He will call all pagans to baptism, and in every temple the cross of Christ will be erected. This is the Catholic version. Then Egypt and Ethiopia will be eager to stretch their hands to God. Whoever does not adore the cross of Jesus Christ will be punished by the sword. When... His years have completed. At that time, the prince of iniquity, who will be called Antichrist, will rise from the tribe of Dan. He will be the son of perdition, the head of pride, the master of error, the fullness of malice, who will overturn the world and do wonders and great signs through dissimulation. He will delude many by magic art, so that fire will seem to come down from heaven. Let me jump ahead here. When the Roman Empire shall have ceased, now this starts combining with the prophecy of the Pope, the destruction of Rome, then the Antichrist will be openly revealed and will sit in the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. While he is reigning, two very famous men, Elijah and Enoch, will go forth to announce the coming of the Lord. Antichrist will kill them, and after three days they will be raised up by the Lord. Then uh, then there will be great persecution, such as has not uh, uh, before, nor ever shall be thereafter. The Lord will shorten those days for the sake of the elect, and the Antichrist will be slain by the power of God through Michael the archangel of the Mount of Olives. Quote. So here you have a very, very ancient... In fact, nobody knows exactly how old this prophecy is that came from the prophetesses of Apollo, but that was Christianized. Now, by the way, this, this prophecy was quoted by Justin, uh, who is in, in, in direct line with John, the uh, beloved disciple of Jesus. It was quoted by numerous other early church fathers. So there was a great amount of belief system, and this prophecy uh, precedes uh, the early church fathers themselves. So we're talking about something extraordinarily old, as old as Jesus or older. Nobody really even knows how old this prophecy is. Uh, but it's definitely talking about the end of time and the final destruction of Rome. Now, here's why this is partly important, uh, and I'll try to move through this quickly. That that prophecy, the final Roman emperor, uh, is interesting in light of the current spread of Islam and ISIS, as it, that prophecy specifically de- deals with how the final emperor and the pope are going to rise during a war, they say, um, and this is part of the prediction that I make in this final book. It's my biggest prediction yet. Um, but it's a war in which the Muslim nations, according to the Kume Sibyl, they invade, they conquer, they occupy Europe. Uh, Catholic scholars today say that's going to be World War Three, And then in a subsequent war following that, Catholic scholars call that World War IV, Europe then is uh, free. Now, Why is this important? Because look at what Pope Francis has been saying and doing, even over the last ten weeks. He has been diligently preaching the last few weeks, almost kind of like the messenger preparing the way, if you will, for the coming of the final Roman emperor. He has been preaching the same thing that the Kume Sibyl said, that this final emperor is not going to lead to the end of the Jewish and Islamic and Catholic faith, but he is going to do away with the division uh, within Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, and he is going to combine these religious systems: Judaism, Catholicism, or Christianity, and the Islamic faith. Um, now, and I want to, I want to. I'll, I'll come back to what uh, Pope Francis is doing here in a moment because I want to first throw something out at you here that you need to hear. In the 12th century, there was an abbot by the name of Urdine uh, D'Otrante. You can look up his prophecies on the Internet. And, but in the 12th century, here's what he said. He said, when this great monarch and this final great pope arrive, they will perceive the, uh, precede the Antichrist. He said, the nations will be in wars, for four years, and a great part of the world will be destroyed, and the sect will vanish. The capital of the world will fall. The capital of the world, he doesn't identify, but it's going to fall. Is that America? Is that Rome? Why do we don't know? The Pope will go over the sea, carrying the sign of redemption on his forehead, and after the victory uh, of the Pope and the great monarch, peace will reign on the earth. Now here's the part I want you to hear. The Pope will cross, I'm quoting now uh, Abbot Warden de Otrante, who is reading the prophecy of the Kume Sibyl. The Pope will cross the sea, listen to what he says, uh, in the year when the Feast of St. George, now the, we did all the research around this, the Feast of St. George is April 23rd. When the Feast of St. George falls on Good Friday, and St. Mark's Feast, that's April 25th, falls on Easter Sunday, and the Feast of St. Anthony, that's June 13th, falls on Pentecost, and the Feast of St. John the Baptist, which is June the 24th, falls on Corpus Christi. So he gives a very, very specific timeline. Well, guess what? The concurrences of those feasts will not take place until 2038, and not before. So, if you then take the prophecy of the uh, uh, final Roman Emperor, the War of the Great Catholic Monarch that is considered to be World War Four, that lasts four years, so you back up. The Pope crosses the sea to Europe from the U.S., where the Holy See is going to be in exile, according to the Pope. That's from the latter part of the World War Three aspect of this prophecy. Uh, and then the Pope crosses the sea. This would have to be in 2038. Therefore, the war, the war has to end in 2037. I know this is all sounding confusing, but I'm getting somewhere. Um, which means that it starts four years earlier than that, around 2033 or 2034, and Europe is occupied during the 2020s, and so the war in which the Muslim extremists conquer Europe has to occur in the year actually between... 2016 and 2017 so we're talking about a very old prophecy um, and and Abbott Worden's analysis of the prophecy is from the 12th century Um, that all say the same thing, by the way, that so many other... You know, I wrote the book, Zenith 2016, how many ancient cultures are there that's going to tell us, right, that this is all going to culminate starting in 2016 through 2018. It's extraordinary. But here again, the prophecy of the Kume Sibyl uh, and the interpretation by Abbot uh, Worden de Autrante from the 12th century gives us the time frame in which the dominoes are going to start falling later in 2016 in the year 2017, um, and at some point, this um, <laughs> this character, if you will, is going to appear on the world scene. Now, okay, I gave you a whole bunch of stuff, and it's all very confusing, because you have to read the book to really wrap your head around all this, so let me let me break it down into something more simple, and these are the most amazing points about what the Pope is doing now and this final book. Number one, the final Roman Emperor prophecy happens when the final Pope arrives. So that's the bottom line. So the, when, the, when the final Pope arrives on the Malachy list, that is when the final Roman Emperor is going to appear. Number two, the Sibyl saw something that is extraordinary. Because don't forget, this was written about literally thousands of years ago. And she literally describes how international democracy will be viewed as a failed system in the world's mind, and therefore there will be a push to return to a global monarchy or a dictatorship with socialist leanings. I mean, is that extraordinary or what? Given what Pope Francis (coughs) has been saying, what the United Nations has been saying, given that more than 50% of Americans under the age of 30 would vote for an avowed socialist in Bernie Sanders. This seems extraordinary. Uh, <coughs> thirdly, this new global monarch here, a dictatorship, is going to result in what the Sibylline called the Golden Age under the return of Apollo Osiris. We can talk more about that if we get time. That's the prophecy on the Great Seal of the United States. Fourthly, at the core of the last emperor is the idea that apostasy, apostate, and apostate is anybody that don't agree with me if I say so, right? They're going to be driven from both the Mohammedan and Christian religions, uniting in a single harmonized and global religious order under the final pope and the final emperor. Now, brother, that is amazing, given what... Uh, Pope Francis has been saying over just the last 10 days only two examples. Number 1, he gave an interview a week and a half ago, chock full of commentary, literally torn from the Sibyl's prophecy for those who understand the prophecy in which he said, quote, it is true that the idea of conquest, which is part of the emperor prophecy, is inherent in the soul of Islam. However, it is also possible to interpret the objective in Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus sends his disciples to all nations in terms of the same idea of conquest. The, this, is, this is literally codifying, if you will, the prophecy of the Kume Civil about the final Roman emperor in that Francis is saying... Uh, well, he, he even went on to say that Muslim migrants need to breed with Europeans. It's the Europeans that the, that the Kume Civil said... Would be infiltrated and overthrown by the final Roman emperor and the uh, uh, final pope. He said they need to they need to uh, breed with Europeans to assure their growing dominance and presence um, uh, in and throughout Europe. And then just l- earlier today, and Steve, I think you already know this. I'm sure that you, uh, Hagman, Joe, and Doug already know this. Just today, Pope Francis actually embraced the top imam in a historic meeting at the Vatican, and then he made a cryptic announcement at the end of it, and and this is going to have people's mind lit up for a while. He said, our meeting is the message. He didn't even explain that. Our meeting is the message. He meets with the grand imam of Cairo's al Hazar Mosque at the Vatican, today, in a historic encounter, it was sealed with a hugely symbolic hug and exchange of kisses. The Vatican said that this is the first meeting between the leader of the world's Catholics and the highest authority in Sunni Islam. I'm reading this now from the headline. Marks the culmination of a significant improvement in relations between the two faiths since Francis took office in 2013. Our meeting is the message, Francis said in a brief comment to a small pool of reporters. Presidents started the meeting with... Sheikh Ahmed Al-Tayyib, uh, again torn straight, literally, from the pages of the Sibyl's final emperor prophecy. So, and all of this happening after Chris Putnam and I sent the book to the typesetter, and it's actually being shipped this week to us. By the way, we're going to get that book to the people from uh, Hagman and Hagman that order it even before it, the stores even receive it. But, uh, so, how extraordinary is that?
1: Well, I think it's not only extraordinary, I think it echoes or, if you will, underscores my statement. It's fascinating that it's like God is using world events to put exclamation points on that which he's placed within his people's hearts. To warn his people. You know, the scripture says, surely Lord God will do nothing except he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And I'm not, you know, the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. But look at the timing, Tom. This meeting today, see, actually the reported meeting today is on the night that you and I are on with Doug Hagman, and that was set weeks ago, okay? This night, ladies and gentlemen, was set weeks ago for us to appear. So what I find it interesting is every single day and the medium you know this meeting is a message that's a take off on Marshall McLuhan's famous statement that the that the media is the message, and so what he's saying is what you see is happening before your eyes. I believe that was the greatest Illuminist uh, uh, statement that's uh, been so plain for all to see, and the fact that, here's what I think we've got to make it clear, that obviously that Satan knows the latitude that God's given to him, and it's going to play out. But God has warned His people. And Tom, I'll tell you what—you know—sends goosebumps through my body right now. I know what happens when events of this magnitude take place, and I know that the, 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 the dominoes, okay, the dominoes that have hidden evil, the dominoes that have kept evil out of our dimension are, are down, the gates are open, the stargates are opening. And, and for the record, just as Tim found out, all over the world, the universal symbol for stargates is a spiral. It didn't matter if they were in Sardinia, it didn't matter if they were in Rome, it didn't matter if they were in Malta, it didn't matter if they were in Peru, Bolivia. The universal symbol for Stargates is the spiral. The Native Americans that contact me, they're saying there's a lot of events happening, there's a lot of gates opening. And what I think is fascinating, you know, the ancients understood one thing, and I don't know how it all works. But they knew that when the volcanoes started going off, that the evil spirits that were, if you will, held in abeyance for this specific time would be released. And whether it's Popo in Mexico City or it's, uh, you know, Simbaon or uh, uh, Reventador, any of the bigger volcanoes, uh, Vesuvius, not Vesuvius, excuse me, Mount Etna, Vesuvius is probably next, but all of these are going off and Tom you cannot separate them from the legends of the fallen angels. Now here's what I find that's fascinating. We're watching, if you will, the whole earth earth E A R T H convulse. We're watching the birth pangs, and I don't think people are going to like what's being born on this earth. I don't think, and I'm talking about the evil that's coming. But in your book, you detail such a specific uh, series of events that have been laid out thousands of years before. And isn't it interesting? You you know, people should realize this, the, uh, the preeminent Sybil in the Sistine Chapel represented... Is the Cumaean Sybil? Is that not true?
3: Yeah, absolutely, and and actually, well, let's talk about that a little bit. But let me let me follow up with one final statement about uh, what I had said a moment ago. <laughs> that um, the the these prophecies of the Kume Sybil that came down, they were borrowed by other Sybils, they were repeated by even early church fathers, uh, that resulted in the uh, the coming of the Great end times monarch, this leader of a final world system. I believe that what the Catholics have done is that they have they have taken the prophecies of the Kume Sibyl um, and in a way they've reversed them to set themselves up for great deception. Why would I say that? Because they believe that there's a coming great socialist dictator, so does Francis evidently, who's going to work with this final pope and he's going to be their temporary savior, and that the Antichrist is not going to appear until after the final emperor. Um, But I believe that's the exact opposite of what the book of Revelation teaches, that actually the the great monarch, the great emperor, is going to be the Antichrist working with a false prophet, according to the book of Revelation, and it's not until after uh, that that the second coming of Jesus Christ Occurs, The ISIS Islamists are also deceived because they too plagiarized the Kume Sibyl's prophecy, the point of their coming Mahdi, and so in the same way they're going to accept the Savior. In fact, we have a chapter in our book on the final Roman Emperor how uh, uh, Muslims, Jews, and Christians are all going to be deceived by the coming of the final Roman Emperor, are going to accept Antichrist as their Savior. Well, of course, the book of Revelation. Makes that point too, um, but I believe that so all all three, the Jews, the uh, Christians and Catholics, and the Muslims, are going to accept this false prophet, which is going to be the Antichrist. So the connection of the ancient sibyls, the prophecies of the god Apollo of Cyrus Nimrod, is literally extraordinary in light of her kind of her reverential place that you moment, mentioned a moment ago. In the Sistine Chapel and on the Great Seal of the United States of America. Now, is this just Tom Horn uh, and Chris Putnam and Steve Quayle being evangelicals and therefore like the Protestants of the turn of the century? And, you know, we're taking a shot at Catholicism to accuse them of being the Antichrist and whatever. What an awful lot of Catholics might not know is that that is exactly the belief system of many of the early uh, Catholic theologians. Many early Catholic theologians, and many of their most celebrated uh, visions, Marian apparitions, including La Salette, uh pointed to how the day would come in which Rome would become apostate, and Rome would actually become the seat of the Antichrist and lead the world in the misdirection. There is highly placed church experts, uh, even uh, in recent years, that have asserted that there is Satan worship that is very real, very powerful, that is occurring inside the Leonine walls of the Holy See in order to establish the coming of Antichrist in the place of Christ, or in the place of the Antichrist as the celebrated final Roman emperor, the great monarch. By the way, for instance, if Catholics listen to this show want to Google some of this to, to make sure that I'm not just making this up, Google Monsinger Luigi Martinelli, who uh, about 15 years ago wrote a book called Gone with the Wind in the Vatican, sold 100,000 copies in just the first three weeks, and look at what it discusses. Satanism being practiced by the highest cardinals at the Vatican. Um, there's an exorcist you can Google, Archbishop Emmanuel Melango. He actually spoke at the uh, Fatima 2000 celebration when the uh, vision of Fatima was allegedly released at the International Conference on World Peace, and he charged high-ranking members of the church hierarchy as being in league with Satan, he said, and that they, too, were working to try to mislead the Catholic faithful into the acceptance of the final Roman emperor as a messianic-like figure that's going to lead this new world order, if you will, but that, in fact, they would be deceived into accepting the Antichrist. Uh, Of course, you know, Malachi Martin, the pontifical biblical institute writer uh, that we've talked about so many times, um, at the time that uh, Emmanuel Malongo, the archbishop, said what he did at uh, Our Lady of Fatima 2000, the Manhattan magazine, the Fatiman Crusader. They asked Martin, uh, because was some public alarm that was raised about what Nalongo was saying about high-ranking Vatican officials who were uh, followers of Satan, they asked him about it, and uh, Martin said anybody who's acquainted with the state of affairs in the Vatican in the last 35 years is well aware that the princes of darkness have had and continue to have their surrogates in the court of St. Peter in Rome. So, this is something that for modern Catholics comes as a real surprise. They don't have any idea that some of some of their recent theologians, as well as some of the ancient theologians, um, agreed, and, and some of their venerated Marian apparitions, uh, that Rome would become the seat of the Antichrist and lead the world into deception, uh based on this final roman emperor this final uh, uh uh monarch uh prophecy it's a real surprise most modern catholics today i talk to them all the time um they, they they're absolutely astonished they they can't believe it when i tell them look some of the early church fathers of the of the roman catholic church uh some of the most celebrated of their theologians said that at the end of time, the Vatican would become the seat of the Antichrist. They are astonished by that, but it's actually a pretty common eschatology among high-level Catholic scholars, Uh, men like, uh, here's some more names to Google, Cardinal Henry Manning, uh, Bishop Salvador Zola, Frederick William Helle. These are extraordinary names in Catholic history, and all of them saw That in the last days, a demonically infested clergy at the highest levels in Rome would subvert and use the papacy as a political vehicle for an occult world order. And that's, of course, what Malachi Martin wrote so much of his books and material about. And by the way, ten years before Malachi said something pulled his feet out from under him while he was preparing for an exorcism and he later died, um, he was working on a book at that time. And he said it was going to be his most explosive book ever. The uh, title of it was going to be called Primacy, How the Institutional Roman Catholic Church Became a Creature of the New World Order. And at that time, if you recall, he he was very outspoken about pedophilic Satanism at the heart of the Vatican, throughout the College of Cardinals, all the way down to the local parishes. He said they were in league with a secret diabolicus that began following what he called an enthronement of the fallen archangel Lucifer in the Roman Catholic Citadel in the 1960s. And I, I think we've talked about this before, so maybe we shouldn't go over it again, but uh, he said there was a ritual to enthrone Lucifer as the prince of Rome, and secondly, to assure that that inception happened, uh, and that an immaterial spirit, the spirit of Lucifer, was Embodied within a final pope, he even wrote the book, the final conclave. And here we are living in this moment in time, right? And in that book, in keys, yeah, in the in the keys to his blood, he said John Paul was scared. John Paul, he said, was terrified. He had come up against an irremovable presence in the Vatican uh, that uh, he called the super force, uh, and they were working. Uh, to make sure that the prophecy of the Kume Sibyl, the final Roman emperor, this last monarch, that Catholics around the world would be deceived into accepting this individual as their their temporary messiah, as their leader and the final pope, but they would actually be embracing the uh, Antichrist. Well, (coughs) this has come full circle. This has come... (coughs) to fruition now we're at the final pope and he is behaving in such a way that he, it appears that he too sees himself in a role because now he's he's out there doing steve what you said you dreamt of or you had a vision of when you were a young preacher that the day would come in which the muslim faith and the catholic faith would be united into this end times super force that malachi martin said would cause the vatican to become the seat Of the antichrist. Well, and
1: and, you know, I've shared that, but again, here's here's the other issue, Tom, that really is critical at this point. The amount of disclosure that's coming, the amount of exoplanets, everything we deal with, okay? You know, one thing that I, I was praying about one night about what else a Lucifer telescope is looking for, you know, people automatically assume it's Planet X. You know, I know in my Bible when New Jerusalem comes down, comes down out of heaven, Could it be that they are also looking for that because they know the lateness of the hour, they know their prophecies, and that's one thing that terrifies them that they cannot control because it's under God's control? Have you ever considered that?
3: I missed part of what you said, Steve. Sorry.
1: Oh, I said, have you ever considered that the Vatican may be looking for New Jerusalem because they understand, in addition to Planet X and everything else, but... You know, it's interesting because obviously they know the lateness of the hour. You know, Lucifer has deceived his followers that they're going to make war against God and defeat him. But the curiosity of the infrared spectrum, and uh, I know a little bit about uh, infrared, but the point being, is it not also, uh, it troubles me, not that it troubles, it just puts me into one of those light switch moments that, the We talk about New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, you know, and that happens at a certain point. But what is it? I think they're looking for multiple, how should I say this, uh, events. Now, you went on record, excuse me, the Vatican guy said to you and and Chris, when you're at Mount Graham, we've got to wait for the fields to clear sometimes through our telescopes. Obviously, the higher the magnification, the smaller the field for the UFOs to get out of the way. Could it also be, I'm just throwing this out, that being aware of the scriptures and being aware of the fight that's coming and their embracing of uh the fallen one and his uh, followers, Lucifer and his followers. Isn't it, it, it? Could it not be that too? In essence, what challenges them? Obviously, they got the Hubble and everything, but they're fixed. And obviously, they know about Planet X. So, uh, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. Have you ever
3: considered that? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that uh, not long ago. You know, this whole thing with. Um, the Kepler star in the const, uh, constellation Cygnus, where they're talking yep. about it might maybe it's an alien megastructure. They don't know what it is, right? Uh, oh, some people yep. saying maybe it's a Dyson sphere. But the thing that went through my head is what if it's the New Jerusalem? And the other thing is don't forget that the scripture says about Satan. Uh, this this thing is coming down it's nearing the earth what if it is the New Jerusalem remember what it says about Satan that he knows that he you know his time's coming to an end he knows that he has but a few days that there is a timing to the, to the uh, playing out of these uh, of this end times phenomenon so maybe he's also is aware that the thing that is approaching nearest by the way you also said well um, that thought, I think
2: Tom. Hold that thought, Tom and Steve. We are up against the top of the hour break. When we come back in hour number three, if we can hit on that uh, star that is uh, dimming light out in outer space and then what you were just about to get
0: into on the other side, stay with us.
3: Star Radio Network
0: town, or it's the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes, where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers the Denials and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again, as Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stain by blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at hagmanandhagman.com and click on the link. Stain by blood. (laughs) We'll be right back. <laughs> back.
2: welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our third and final hour on this Monday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're joined by Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and uh, Tom Horn from Skywatch TV. We were going to be joined by Chris Putnam also, but as I said earlier, he suffered a, a minor hand injury. We ask all of you to keep him in your prayers. Uh, I'm sure he'll be back up and running in no time. We're talking tonight about the end game, the final Roman emperor, the Islamic Antichrist, and the Vatican's role. We've been talking with uh, with Tom about uh, his, him and Chris's visit to Mount Graham and what not only they discovered while they were there, but what Timothy Alvarino discovered while in the Vatican that was confirmation, there's just been so much hard-hitting information and new information, as well as um, Tom Horn doing a special book sale, um, or if you put in the the code name Hagman, when ordering uh, the books, they will give you, uh, I think, $60 worth of books free, and Tom, uh, if you want to jump in here and and, uh, give people that offer again so they know uh, exactly what, what to do to get that
3: yeah well, I just kind of made that up. We haven't made that public knowledge at all. We haven't advertised that to nobody. We're already giving away over two hundred dollars worth of free books that have never been given away before. Uh, in addition to that, movies, uh, documentaries um and a, and and to me, the best of all of it is a massive data library on uh, dVD that has literally tens of thousands of pages of research material ancient manuscripts that are no longer available or in print anywhere else this is the stuff you can't get and they're real treasures we're giving all of that away and what i had said on tonight's program is that um... in one week from now actually one week and one day on tuesday uh... the thirty first is the first day that that book will be Made available. It will not be in stores at that time. It won't be anywhere. It'll be available only to Hagman listeners and Skywatch TV listeners. And if somebody does buy the book, it's only nineteen ninety five. So you're going to get now. You're going to get almost four hundred dollars worth of stuff or whatever it is. It's just a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> uh, when you buy that book uh, from our store, if you put into the comment section, I heard you on Hagman. That's all you got to do. And I'm going to advise um, the people that work for me in the warehouse to make sure they include the first three books. So it would be Petrus Romanus, the second book, Ex Vaticana, the third book, On the Path of the Immortals, as well as all of the other stuff that you'll see in that commercial uh, if you go to skywatchtv.com and play that trailer. Uh, if you don't put into the comments section I heard you on Hagman, then you'll get what's in the advertise special as long as you buy it right when it comes out because by the way anytime we do these extraordinary giveaways and this is going to be the biggest giveaway of 2016 um, that stuff goes like a house of fire it'll all be gone very quickly and then we will take the ad down and then it won't be available anymore so um, you, and we don't care by the way what you do with it every time by the way we do those gigantic enormous giveaways we have people out there that'll buy 20. 30 uh, set we don't care and then they turn around and, and resell them we don't care what they do with them it's just what we're going to do we do it during that window of opportunity only uh you can give them to people who give whatever we don't care um and uh so anyway awesome. is steve back yeah, yeah i'm back Hey, Tom, let's, let's,
1: let's, you know, this is my favorite, favorite term. The bottom line that you want people to live with, or actually to leave with after reading, you know, the last in the series. You know, as you as you penned it with Chris, you guys co uh, co wrote it, co authored it. What is the most astonishing thing in Tom Horn's mind? Look, we talk about a lot of stuff, and we've covered so much territory. Uh, we're, we're watching multi dimensional chess game played out with the devil moving his pieces into place, and God already declared checkmate on the cross. But it's still going to the game is still when I say the chess game is still going to. Play out with eternal consequences. What is the most, if I would say to you, what is the most relevant, revelatory thing that God has opened up to you in the same context as when he gave you the understanding of the Pope's resignation? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, and um, so there were people when we went to the break, and uh, Doug asked if I could please make a commentary about the Dyson sphere issue, which I had raised. Let me do that real quickly, and then I'll sum this sure. all up. And I'll try to do it very quickly. Because actually this is connected to you too, Steve. Um, th- this whole thing about um, the uh, Vatican being the biggest duck in the puddle with regard to you know controlling the flow of disclosure information for the world's religious communities around extraterrestrial intelligence and all of that kind of stuff, uh, the coming of a, a, of a final Roman emperor, a culmination, a concatamation, a prophecy from every angle. But then you had mentioned Stargates, which the people read the third book in this series on the path of the immortals, which we'll give away free to the people listening to this program, if when they buy the book, The Final Roman Emperor, they put in the comments section, I heard John Hagman, and um, uh, that book is dealing exclusively with this idea that there are gateways of the earth, stargates, portals, doorways. They've opened in the past. They're prophesied to open once again. That is absolutely a part of prophecy. We don't have time tonight to go back and put all that puzzle together, which we've done on previous shows, but it absolutely is a part of prophecy. And when you see, uh, you know, Isaiah the prophet saying about uh, the, the location of the Tower of Babel. And Babylon saying that in the last days a great voice is going to uh, announce, Open the gates, ye ruler, I give command and I bring them. Gates, right? Plural. I bring them. Giants are coming to fulfill my wrath. We realize that most Christianity has been very under uh, educated in terms of biblical prophecy and about what is going to happen in the near future. There are gateways, they've opened before, they're going to open again. Okay, having said all that, um, this whole thing about the Dyson sphere that we were talking about before the break, and the Kepler star, and the constellation Cygnus, and this deep mystery, you've got these astronomers, Bradley Schaefer, some others out there, they're talking about this, this mysterious star... And how it is dimming and then it's brightening and 16% each century. They, they can't figure it out at all. They've never seen anything like this in deep space. Uh, is that, well, I'm not going to say is that the New Jerusalem. We were also talking about that. Is this something, though, that uh, the Vatican is watching? Is it something they're observing some strange, bizarre activity in space? Well, um, for people that don't know what a Dyson sphere is, um, um, there's a, uh, you can learn about this by going to Google and typing in the Templeton Foundation, which is a philanthropic organization. And what's strange is they're interested in genetics, and they're interested in transhumanism, and they're also interested in aliens and they're interested in hybridizing humanity. So a lot of this stuff seems to be kind of spooky in the way it kind of all flows together. They've been funding a whole series of lectures at the Arizona State University calling Facing the Challenges of Transhumanism, Religion, Science, and Technology. Um, and in 2009, they launched the Sophia project about making contact with extraterrestrial intelligence. So a lot of weird stuff. You can Google all of it. But now there's another university that we suspect could be involved in the cover-up of, of, of a so-called alien presence, artifacts, whatever, and that's Penn State, um, or at least one of its well-known lecturers. And this is a story that goes all the way back to 2005, and I don't know if we've talked about this in any of the recent programs over the last few years, Steve, but you and I, at, wow, how far back does the Q-Files go? When did you stop doing the Q-Files?
1: Well, that, that goes back a long way. You know, it sounds like we're both old guys talking about decades yeah. ago.
3: Well, we were doing a series of shows, and they were q file shows, because we still have them on tape. Um, and suddenly there was this story that shot across the World Wide Web of a giant Leviathan-type creature. Now, you remember this? And they said it had been discovered. And the polarized of Franz Joseph Land. Colossal being. They described it as having horns and sense and dimension that protruded from Incredible length, a body covered with a combination of fur. So you and I started investigating that story, uh, including analyzing the audio and video files, and within days you had actually tracked down the helicopter pilot. Is this starting to come back to you now?
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember that.
3: And uh, the helicopter pli- pilot who had flown over and filmed this lo- so-called Leviathan video, and according to the pilot, it was all a ruse. Sony, uh, Sony had created this docudrama hoax to virally promote the release of the new PlayStation uh, 2 game called Shadow of the Colossus. So you went on with George Norrie coast to coast uh, and said it was all just a ruse, no big deal, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I did not know that, so I was out there. I'm still trying to unearth something for Raiders News Network, which is today known as Skywatch TV. Um, And I was out there suggesting we might have only scratched the surface, big uh, mystery. When suddenly information came up that made me think that both of us had been part of a bait-and-switch to throw people off a legitimate recovery effort. Now, this goes to gateways or you know, what we went to the break talking about. It goes to that. And, Franz Joseph, among the most interesting, potentially telling pieces of that puzzle, was the senior lecturer in anthropology and American studies at Penn State University by the name of P.J. Um Just before the so-called hoax was perpetuated, this professor had actually been conducting archaeological studies for Penn State at uh, Franz Joseph Land, and he followed his research of the site by immediately advocating the need to establish international laws or treaties to preserve alien artifacts. So um, I'm not going to go into all that. We talk about some of that in the book, um, uh, uh, Exo Vaticana, um, but it raised the question that. Capilate's team had uncovered something in Franz Josef land that had something to do with extraterrestrial, uh, other worlds, artifacts, because he was literally calling for the need to establish, through the UN, international laws and treaties to preserve alien artifacts on other worlds. We document that uh, in Exo-Vaticana something that corresponds to artificial remains somewhere, uh, elsewhere in the universe, whatever. Something big enough to employ, let's say, Sony, to concoct a cover-up, something they had found. Um, Well, in any case, I'm not going to go into this. I think I don't have enough time. Bottom line is, Capilotti wrote a book uh, that was published after the fact, in which he quotes me and you. And says that there are people out there like Steve Quayle and Tom Horn, and they're trying to make this something more than what it is. But everything about it smells of a giant uh, cover-up, if you will. Um, and I think I I think I talked so long I forgot what it, the point that I was going to make. But but there is something about this idea about Gateway Stargate. Uh, I remember when I released the book, Nephilim Stargates, I did this whole series of shows on radio and television. By the way, if I remember what I was going to say about Capaletti, I'll say it. Um, But I was discussing this idea of supernatural portals, doorways, openings, uh, and that how this was actually an ancient idea that there are gateways between this world and other dimensions. And at one point on one of those programs, I remember I was being interviewed by J.R. Church and Gary Sturman, as a matter of fact, and is probably still available on YouTube, um, in which I briefly raised this idea that Ali Crowley and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory founder Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard of the Church of Scientology, how they had been working. To try to open a gateway, a doorway, right? You're aware of that. I'm sure most of the people listening to this program probably aware of how they were trying to open a doorway uh, into another universe. But there's something else here, and I want to bring this up because we're in this election year and you've got Hillary Clinton and uh, um, um, Trump that are probably going to be the two individuals facing off against each other. In a very historic year, that also sees potentially the arrival of the final Roman emperor, um, and so there's there's something here. Uh, Parsons and Hubbard.
1: Well, and I want to share something, Tom. It was important that people understand the Nazis, especially under the SS and the Ananerby, you know, the control of those looking for their ancient heritage, they absolutely achieved, and I've gone on record, people have heard me say this, but they have achieved and had achieved the ability to open the gates, and when even Warner von Braun, and I forget the other gentleman's name, said, it's not that we Germans are so smart. Is that we had help from other dimensions, and that's 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 a pretty interesting quote. And what was more fascinating to me is it's kind of like this too. When I came out with the book, uh, uh, "Good Night Empire Beneath the Ice: How the Nazis Won World War II," the thing that was astronomically uh, uh, important to that was the fact that the supernatural realm of evil spirits and that which Alistair Crowley and his ilk, Jack Parsons, the whole crew at Jet Propulsion Laboratory if you guys want to know where the cover up is, it comes from not just NASA, but it comes from JPL when it's Jet Propulsion Laboratory the point I'm trying to make is that you cannot separate you cannot separate advanced technology from spiritism and Stargate spiritism and Stargates go hand in hand and for the record when when Antarctica was visited by Obama, by the Pope, and by um, uh, the, uh, uh, what's his name, Kirill, the head of the, uh, and I don't know what the official title is, Patriarch of, I guess, the Russian Orthodox Church, it was fascinating that prior to that, Russia had sent a, a the equivalent of their Operation High Jump down there, supposedly carrying the Ark of Gabriel. The Ark of Gabriel is not the Ark of the Covenant. All right. <laughs> But what is suspicious to me suspicious to me is this, is that it was some form of power source. Now, over the years, in 2005 through 2008, I was on talk radio, I think that was in the Q-Files days, I'm pretty sure it was, and talking about how the generals, and you and I talked about this, the ones in the spec ops community were talking about all of that which was coming through the gates. Now, I know at that point, you know, you probably thought, uh-oh. Steve has slipped the last part of his frontal lobotomy or lobe, you know. But the point being is is that everything was centered around Antarctica. And now what we're seeing is everything centered around Antarctica. And I'd like to put this into perspective. Everybody seemingly touched down or met at one point at Patagonia. Patagonia means big feet. Magellan specifically details, and I detail that in my book, the fact of running into the Giants of Patagonia. And now the History Channel and others have come out and tried to discredit that. But, you know, the point being is you cannot separate Stargate's from technology advanced technology and i want to put an end to this that that the uh... you know the giants are are you know some kind of big oaks that walk around and club people and eat them that's true but their fathers taught their children the fallen angels taught their children the giants All of the advanced uh, Astrology, astronomy Advanced science, technology And all that, and so When when I'm told by people that do nothing But go out and try and find that stuff In top secret military stuff That doesn't even, look, I'm not in the military I don't know them Uh, I just know them by code names And so the thing is, is that They're looking for the stuff, and now we see Everybody converging in the Antarctic And talking about the gates down there That's something I don't think I made clear It is The gates in the Antarctic that seem to have the world, pun intended, on edge and and basically focusing on that now how about uh, you know holes on the poles we've only recently been getting new uh photographs if you will satellite photos of the holes in the poles that admiral bird talked about and that didn't appear they have been censored for 17 years now they're showing up is it possible tom this is rhetorical i know your your answer already but, or let's do it this way, not put it rhetorically, isn't it strange that Hillary Clinton, who is a, a practicing witch by her own statements, uh, the bo- and she's talking about alien disclosure, There was a story, Barack Obama's talking about alien disclosure, and everybody who's talking about alien disclosure, except, you know, you and I and the Christians who are approaching this, I'm not saying we're the only ones, I'm saying, and the Christians who are approaching this from a biblical perspective, but it's the order of the day, and it, it, forgive me, it's the order of the day, and it won't go away.
3: Yeah, Go and ahead, uh, it, it took me a moment. Somebody walked into my office while I was trying to do radio, and they were interrupting me, and I completely lost my train of thought. But they're they're gone, and it took me a moment to remember what I was going to say about Capital Eddie. Uh and the research that you and I were doing some years ago, quite a few years ago, I guess, the Q files. <laughs> but um, a few years after your and my investigation, and I do think this was around 2005. Um, But Capaletti followed the expedition that they had uh, with a book that he titled The Human Archaeology of Space, Lunar, Planetary, and Interstellar Relics of Exploration. So he continues to push this idea that there are artifacts of alien design that were here on Earth and in other places. And again, we're talking about a Penn State University guy that's calling for the United Nations to create Rules around which these extraterrestrial artifacts can be uh, investigated. But he wrote that book, it was published by McFarland Publishing, in which he discusses the, the, that very shadow of the Colossus leviathan conspiracy that you and I have been investigating. And he admits uh, to making two voyages at that time to the North Pole on board the Russian icebreaker Yamal, Uh, And and he writes in his book, I've got the quote, during the second voyage, as we returned from the pole, we landed by helicopter on Rudolph Island in in Franz Josef land. And he then describes his team's excursion to the site that you and I had been uh, doing news reports about to examine the remains, get this, of an enormous spacecraft now, he then goes on to claim that this was only a Soviet uh, TB3 bomber whose destruction the former Soviet Union had also buried as deeply as the government could. But again, how and why surviving or surveying a, a crashed airplane could be described as needing international laws or treaties to preserve alien artifacts on other planets as well as having the power to alter humanity? Uh, via aerospace archaeology which is another thing that he goes into it it simply doesn't add up but then he takes several pages of his book to focus on me and you Uh, and I've got one of the quotes here this aerospace archaeology taken up as a central element of an argument for the presence of artifacts of extraterrestrial intelligence here on earth in a series of articles called Stargates, Ancient Rituals and Those Invited Through the Portal remember those Steve? yep and posted on the Internet news sites, Raiders News Update, authors Tom Horn and Steve Quayle speculated that it was the disbelievers that were being conned, in this case by an especially created hoax that was in fact part of a larger cosmic conspiracy involving, you guessed it, me, end quote. Well, after uh, republishing a whole large part of our investigation into the archaeology of space, stargates, portals, interstellar relics, He then repeats his claim that there was nothing otherworldly that was discovered at Franz Josef Land, uh, uh, but it's just a Soviet airplane. Uh, He doesn't explain how it's going to lead to the next step in human evolution, which is also part of his book, he connects the next step in human evolution with the discoveries they made, and then uh, well, maybe strength. Tom, so, the
1: United Nations was in the airplane parts business and needed a new bomber, and they had to go <laughs> dig up one or, or you know drill for one in the ice. You, you see what what those guys do is they contradict their very premise. That's what you're bringing up, and you know I take that as a compliment. It, we're, he's making he's making his point, and when we show the Christian perspective on it immediately you know what i'm saying he says of course this can't be the case and says it's a bomber it's like the black sea anomaly it looks like the millennium falcon it has energy still involved in it and when they send down uh submersibles the the batteries are drained it's like a episode out of the bermuda triangle and so the the point is is this covered up and covered over Covered up and covered over. Again, I'll say it. Covered up and covered over. Or sometimes it's the other way. Covered over and covered up. It's just like we've heard for years of the secret chambers. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the guy, the Dutch guy, Gattenberg or Gattenbrink's door. You know, and then they do a cosmic ray, a gamma radiation penetration of uh, the the different pyramids in Egypt. And now, what Timothy Alberino and the film crew found out in Bolivia is governments are are how should I say this? Bargaining behind the scenes. The newest uh, underground citadel in Bolivia is is basically pyramids and energy sources. So what I find interesting, Tom, is now, notice every headline. You carry a lot of them on Skywatch TV, which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you and I'm not saying this because Tom and I are friends, but his website is my favorite, uh, you know, and I draw from it extensively because I know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not second-guessing, but I know since we've done so many shows, what he's going for. Tom, you remember when we were ridiculed, and, and people need to hear this, we were ridiculed by some of the brightest... Uh, 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 transhumanists in the world. And now even they're talking about autonomous killing machines they may not be able to control. Excuse me? And the thing is is that demon-possessed, sentient uh, cyborgs, here's the thing that people don't get, and I want to make it, when Kurzweil wrote, uh, you know, his book on spiritual machines, well, let's just call it what it is. I mean, Stephen King beat him to the draw on that one when he did Christine demon-possessed, uh, you know, we've seen it in history, we've seen it in the history of uh, divination and and, and uh, at ca- casting out demons. Look, we're not here trying to do a War of the Worlds broadcast with Doug and Joe. We're here trying to tell people, so ladies and gentlemen, I consider it an honor when people Say to us, well, of course, you know I'm making this most extensive, expensive. Uh, I'm talking about Capilito to uh, Franz Joseph Land. By the way, uh, the island he landed on was the northernmost island of Prince uh, Fr- uh, Franz Joseph Land. I said Prince Joseph, Franz Joseph Land. And uh, the thing that's fascinating to me, Tom, is that area is complete. Not just the northernmost island, but there's a lot of stuff going on there, and a lot of previous. Expeditions and a lot of uh, UFO activity associated with that area.
3: Well, and and it's interesting if you read his book, uh, he he talks about not only him and Penn State and their archaeological um, investigation and everything else. He talks about the former uh, Soviet government and how much they wanted to bury as deeply as possible the massive craft that they had discovered where Sony had been filming the Leviathan. So talk about contradictory. Here's a guy that on the one hand at the university level is calling for the United Nations to establish protocols to protect alien artifacts on this world and other worlds um, and, uh, and saying that the Soviet Union was working hard to bury as deeply as possible what had been discovered there. And then he's turning right around and saying, But we let Sony go in there uh, and film the Leviathan thing as like a a joke and a commercial. That just doesn't even make any sense. If you've got an area that you're highly trying to protect, the last thing you do is give a contract to Sony to go in there and make a Nintendo game commercial, right? Just simply, nothing that he was saying added up, including the fact that he took real issue with me and you. There, There was something going on there to capture, suppress, and control Information around so-called alien artifacts. Were they demonic? What are they? I don't know, but it's a modus operandi of earthly governments. And, and by the way, it reminds me of another investigation that you and I did a decade ago, and this further back in 2003 uh, when archaeologists discovered another magnetic anomaly, a Stargate, if you will in the ground where the Euphrates River once flowed and that turned out to be according to archaeologists themselves the lost tomb of King Gilgamesh the uh, legendary ruler of ancient Samaria known in the Bible as Nimrod, the New Testament is the spirit of Antichrist that rises during the end times and that is absolutely connected to the prophecy of the Kume Sibyl and the final Roman Emperor and the arrival of Antichrist and isn't it interesting Steve given how Uh, At that same location, uh, the book of Revelation says that the bottomless pit is located and the uh, gates of the earth are going to open up. So does that imply that gateways to the underworld are located near the Euphrates, where ancient Babylon once stood? Um, I think it does, actually. Uh, But whatever the case might be, within hours of the Gilgamesh find, the United States military, as you and I established at that time, they set up a barrier around the site. Remember this? They removed whatever was there, secreted away to places unknown. Uh, the media, which had been actually sent there to cover the so-called Gilgamesh findings, uh, didn't get to see anything. The, the military ran them off. They suddenly found themselves without a story. They were in the dark. And that included the Assyrian International News Agency, ABC News, BBC, Um, and by the way, if there are people listening to this program that think we're making this up, just email me. I'm happy to send you. I still have all of the uh, news articles of that time from the BBC and the INA and ABC, where they said, we have found the tomb of Gilgamesh, And, um, and then... The military came in, it's all hush-hush, whatever's there is removed. Graham Hancock and Robert Barval at the time, they wrote a book called The Message of the Sphinx, and they said that the, the U.S. and the Egyptian government worked together to block the investigators and the news reporters that had come in, uh, and that it even included information around the Great Sphinx at Giza, uh, the Hall of Records. I mean, they went into all kinds of stuff, right? But So we've learned from experience that when it comes to these gateways of the world and this idea that there is uh, strategic, specific locations like we have uh, verified in the four-year investigation by me and Chris Putnam and then in tandem with the work that you've done, uh, Steve, with your documentary series, that any time you get into those areas, well, you're going to do what Timothy Albarino did in your most recent investigation. You, you, get, you get lucky. You get a person that can get you behind the, the, the doorway there uh, inside the, um, uh, the Jesuit offices inside the Vatican. But then what happens? All of a sudden, the guys with the high al- eyebrows walk in, start giving you a look. Next thing you know, you're being spirited away. They don't want you having uh, that information. Um, Very quickly, one thing that I I started out on a moment ago, and somebody walked into my office here and interrupted me, was um, this idea about doorways and gateways and what I was doing some years ago that had to do with Crowley's Magic Portal um, and uh, uh, Hubbard. Uh, and Parsons, um, and their attempt at creating what they call the Babylon working, there's something here that's important that might have to do with this current election process. Uh, it's a matter of record that feminism, pantheistic monism have been sown into the public consciousness uh, from the ivory towers of academia uh, all the way back to Jack Parsons' Dark Invocations, which were carried out in the 1940s, and the Babylon Working, which was intended to give birth to a dark being, a moon child. Uh, Crowley described it in his works, and Crowley didn't like uh, either one of those guys. Um, Hubbard or Parson. He didn't really like them. They were part of his institution, but he, he thought they were both stupid. Um, but he described what they were trying to do as a moon child, which was uh, using powerful energies It literally ninth degree sexual magic um, right? Uh, that were intended to open a doorway, a gateway, through which the goddess Babylon herself could be conceived in human form. And Parsons wrote in his uh, own book that he believed that he and Hubbard had accomplished the task of incarnating the divine feminine, the spirit of Babylon, uh, in a series of rituals um, in 1946. In fact, um, in his biography, he actually preserves the celebratory statement regarding Her embodiment in a child somewhere um, in uh, which he believed that a child had been conceived. It was a woman on earth and that she would be born in nine months of time. And he wrote about it. Babylon's incarnate on the earth today, blah, blah, blah. You're waiting the proper hour of her manifestation. Well, why am I bringing this up? Because if his magic can be believed then one would expect that a female child uh... would have been born in nineteen forty seven interesting date, right
1: yeah um, yeah i
3: know where we're going on this one and, and that she would later rise to international prominence uh... she would be an outspoken feminist but she would grow to have global political clout in order to influence and even guide the nation's of the world well why that's interesting is because in all of the world there was only one influential feminist born in 1947 that offers the promise of um, his infamous ritual and she's now considered by many to be the front runner for the upcoming national U.S. presidential election, and that would be none other than Hillary Rodham Clinton. Um, so, is she the is she the fulfillment? Is a woman set to ride the beast? We're going to find out, I guess. But <coughs> this idea. <coughs> that gateways and doorways can be opened through ritual magic is not something outside of Scripture. In fact, that's the reason why Revelation chapter 9 uh, talks about those, (coughs) who are tortured by those things that come up out of the earth, because it says they repented not of their sorcery, the uh, Greek word pharmakia their use of ritual magic in order to attempt to open doorways to make contact with or even to incarnate entities from another dimension into this reality.
1: Hey, Tom, I want to go back and address Gilgamesh. When that came out, the first mention of it was on the BBC, and you've got all this stuff. You and I were doing shows in those days, but they, according to the people I know, who not only found Gilgamesh's tomb but also his DNA. Now, remember, he's Nimrod. Remember, he goes into hell through a portal, if you will, in the very area of the, you know, of, of Iraq. Uh, the people that I knew that were excavating that different from the people that contacted you and sent you those photos they basically talked about a, a tunnel system and, and there was a brief mention on it d- during the time they were hunting for Saddam Hussein but there's a whole different story there and the artifacts that there are on the fact that you know collectors like, and then there's the ones the military want. The military want anything that is a weapon system, a power source, or a genetic, uh, if you will, cache of DNA that they don't already possess. So when you and I started talking, Tom Horn, about all of the different cloning that's already being done, human cloning, you know, we talked about that. Ah, that'll never happen. Dolly the sheep is a far away and a far call from human beings. And then the Chinese just announced, hey, we're going to clone a human army. You know, my position is it's been done. Dr. Mengele, who never, you know, basically quit his research, and those obviously in the Antarctic uh, calling uh, uh, his shots and. Paying for his his um, what would you call it research? I mean, he had twinning and cloning down by the late fifties. That's hard for people to imagine. But see, here's what's fascinating: video games are taking all this stuff on. Even Steven uh, Spielberg's Big Friendly Giant. Okay, uh, he has a dream sequence where the the, you know the the real giants are eating, and obviously the young girl is saved by a big friendly giant. You know, who kind of looks right uh, you know, he's not the handsomest of guys, but he looks kind of dorky. Well, why is this coming out right now? I'll tell you why. Again, they're going to say these giants are good. They're going to be just like the giants in the Twilight Zone to serve men. And for the record, ladies and gentlemen, go uh, go look on uh, whatever YouTube and, and just uh, whatever search for Twilight Zone to serve men. And you're going to find out that the concept of aliens... Being good and bringing to mankind the the technology that in which we save ourselves, you know, is has been spelled out. And, you know, Tom, you and I have been talking about doing a book. The next book that I do only one more book, and I do it with you, and what we need to do is take the different science fiction shows and just show the theme and show the revelation of what is in uh, the contemporary newspapers and magazines and what's being uh, proposed at that time. Most people don't know this. Dr. Warner Von Braun was Walt Disney's one. Walt Disney's head, uh, uh, what do you call the guy that basically he relied on? Um, uh, there's a word, I can't think of it right now. Uh, research assistant, something like that. But getting back now, because we've only got 15 minutes, Tom Horn, give the bottom line on your final uh, book on the Vatican and the Islamic Antichrist, and we, we've already laid out the case. Look, they're going to join together. It's going to cause a war. You talked about blood on the altar. Culture. You were very kind to let me write the introduction to it. But the point being is give the bottom line and then tell people, because I want, I want just you to take your liberty and tell people why this is so critical, why it's the last one in the series, because quite candidly, everything that you've written about you know years before is now in motion, now in play. And what is the most startling thing? I don't know if you didn't want to deal with it, uh, but please kind of give at least the hints that you absolutely were blown away with because God took you into heaven when you were dead and and neither was praying for you and gave you revelation, sealed up stuff. You asked him, Lord, I want to remember. The Lord said, you're not going to remember. But as times get darker, those things that God implants in people's spirit that are basically timed release are coming forth. So you share that. What is the most important thing that you came away with this book that you want people to get this book? And by the way, tell how they can get it, too. Um do that now. Because uh, I want it now.
3: <laughs> well, um, I, I will say this. It's the biggest revelation of all of them. It's much bigger than all of the other three combined. The revelations in it and the predictions in it. And I do go out on a limb in the same way that I went out on a limb in predicting the uh, res- resignation of Pope Benedict one year in advance. I'm on both television and also in our book as suggesting that's going to happen, and it did. Um, this time around the predictions are are much more significant and they do by the way have something to do with the fact that many years ago i died i woke up in heaven and i'm not going to talk about that tonight i've written a little bit about it online in the series If people want to go to skywatch look in the left column pull down the screen look in the left column they'll see the series there They'll read a little bit about me talking about that. For the longest time, I wouldn't talk about it at all. They'll find out why I wouldn't talk about it, too. They read that article. Um, And um, it was really Sid Roth that kind of drew me out to talk about that, and so I did. Then it turned out to be amazing that much of what had happened to me had also happened to you, Steve. And I did not know that, because we had never talked about it. But in this final book, um, I make two major predictions. Um, And I make them with the same level of confidence that I made when I predicted that Pope Benedict was going to step down in April of 2012, which he did. Same level of confidence. But this is much bigger. Um, And we don't have time tonight to go into all this or all of the details that are in the book, The Final Roman Emperor. Oh, you mentioned for me to tell people how they can get it. Here's what I want to say, look. The final Roman Emperor, the Islamic Antichrist, and the Vatican's Last Crusade. It's going to be available everywhere in a few weeks from now. But if you want to get it first, and if you want to get, well, now for Hagman listeners, if you want to get it with who knows what, three or four hundred dollars worth of free stuff. Um, next week, um, May thirty-one, Tuesday. You're, you're going to want to go to skywatchtv.com. There'll be a big banner up there you can click on, and all you got to do is buy the, the the fourth book, 1995, and you're going to receive the 200 plus dollars worth of stuff that's already being described over there. A lot of free books, free movies, WikiLeaks files, ancient text. The data library to me is the part I love the most. To me, because this is literally four years of extraordinary research, finding literally tens of thousands of pages of very important information that's no longer even in print that we make available to people. So I love the data library, but, you know, so all the other books and all that. But when you check out, if you buy the book, The Final Roman Emperor, uh, when you check out, make sure you put in the comments section, I heard you on Hagman. So all you got to do And I'm going to advise uh, the people that work for me at the warehouse there to include, in addition to all that other free stuff that's being advertised, to include for you that write that in, the first three books in this series. So you will have all four books. You'll have Petrus Romanus, you'll have Exo Vaticana, you'll have The Path of the Immortals, and you'll have the final book in the series, uh, The Final Roman Emperor. Um, But part of the Uh, prediction and these are going to be quantifiable if I turn out to be wrong you'll be able to say this guy didn't have any idea what he was talking about but I'm certain that what I'm saying is going to happen and the biggest part of those predictions have to do and we detail this in the book I won't go into all that right now but the Islamic state ISIS and their associates are going to use a weapon of mass destruction Uh, in the next uh, little few months, within the next 24 months. This is going to be of such scope and impact that it is going to raise the international um, community. There will be an outcry sufficient for the Vatican to play its first card, uh, which, as you read the book, you'll learn has already been primed by subtle references to what's called just war theory. Uh, In the lead up to this predicted event, when this weapon of mass destruction is used by ISIS, the Roman Pope is going to call for the revitalization of the Christian rules for just war. These are very important terms I'm using here. A coalition army, similar to the 2003 invasion of Iraq, is going to be uh, formed to seriously engage. Islamic radicals, not like what you've seen so far, but literally to wipe them out. Geopolitics aside, the jihadists are going to see the Vatican's sanction of war as a new, final religious crusade that plays into the Kume Sibyl's prophecies. They're going to see it as the actual fulfillment of their 1,300-year-old Hadith uh, which allegedly quotes the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, but actually plagiarized from the prophecies of the Kume Sibyl concerning the last days caliphate that goes up against the armies of Rome to initiate Malachim, which is equivalent to Armageddon in Christian teachings. This is a battle that ISIS believes uh, they're ultimately going to win. Um, and that war, they believe, is going to provoke the coming of Mahdi. That's the reason that's part of our title. Chris Putnam and I don't believe that the Antichrist is going to be a Muslim necessarily, but the, but Islam is connected to a plagiarism of the Kume Sibyl's prophecy in which they took what the Catholics call the final Roman Emperor, and they call it the Mahdi. So you're going to find out about that. And this is something that nobody anywhere has ever analyzed before, and you are going to be blown away uh, by it. So they believe that the Mahdi is going to come. Then the Al-Masih al-Dajjal, or just call him the Dajjal, the Antichrist, is going to appear. Isa, who is Jesus, they believe is going to come and spear of the Antichrist and fight on behalf of the Muslim army. So that's what they believe is going to happen. It's my belief that Pope Francis, or whatever, by the way, whatever pontiff is sitting on Saint Peter's throne at the in the at the Vatican at the time. Why would I say that? Because there is some other strange prophetic possibilities going on here, uh, in which Pope. Francis may not have been canonically elected and if he wasn't then he's a placeholder Pope he's actually standing in the place of the true final Pope number 112 if that sounds confusing get the book and read it you won't be confused anymore at least you'll understand where the mystics in Rome are coming for uh, coming from Um, But the bottom line is the current Pope is going to um, initiate uh, a call for um, the uh, Christian rules for just war. And he's going to connect ISIS terrorism with the end of the world. By the way, he already has done that. Um, Have you noticed that Francis has recommended that people read The Lord of the World? That's a 1907 book by... Singer, uh, Robert Hugh Benson that depicts the reign of the Antichrist and the Vatican's relationship with the end of the world. So he's already he's already behaving in a way that he sees himself in this uh, role. He's an avowed prophecy believer. He either knows that he is Petrus Romanus, the final pope, number 112, from the famous prophecy of the pope that's attributed to St. Malachi, um Or, if he was not canonically elected, which we discussed in the book, then he knows there's this other uh, Catholic situation in which he is sitting in place, filling a role, uh, until the final Pope rises up to sit on the throne of uh, Peter. Um, So... Now, does, does Pope Francis believe that he is the final pope? Pretty interesting. He took as his namesake, St. Francis of Assisi, which is an Italian friar, Roman friar, whose original name was Giovanni, but he changed his name to Francesco di Pietro, or Peter di Bernardone, a man whose name can literally be translated as Peter the Roman, which is literally from the final line of the prophecy of the pope. Uh, pope Francis... Uh, also knows that Francis of Assisi was a prophet, and that he predicted this final pope would be raised to the pontificate, who by his cunning would endeavor to draw many into error and death. So it's astonishing that Francis selected as the namesake a man who foretold the final pope would be a deceiver that would lead the Church into destruction and death. And then, also interesting, Pope Francis named Pietro Perolini, as the Vatican's, Vatican's new Secretary of State. That's the man who would sit on the throne of Peter if Pope Francis retires or was wiped out or killed, such as ISIS is intending uh, to do. And that man's name literally means Peter the Roman, and if Pope Francis was killed, he would rise up to sit on the throne of Peter. Uh, Peter. And if Pope Francis was not canonically elected, Pietro Perilene would actually become the, the actual real Pope, number 112, so there's a lot of stuff here that we go into, that we analyze uh, for you. Um, but
2: yes, there is Tom, and we're at the end of the show. And let's not forget, Pope Francis made the remark about Christmas this last Christmas being possibly the last Christmas, and all the other off the cuff remarks he has said. Right. Um, you know about Jesus, and and um, it, it, something is very wrong with this picture. Steve Quill from SteveQuill.com, Tom Horn, SkyWatch TV. Uh, folks go to the Skywatch get the book deal enter uh, that you listen to the to Tom horn on the, the Hagman the Hagman report to get the deal. Tom Steve thank you so much uh, for tonight good night, look forward Joe, to good having night, you guys Doug. back on good game. night
3: Tom. Good night.
2: We'll be back tomorrow. Stan Dale is our guest in the third hour we'll be covering news before that and have a great night everyone. this is the Global star radio network.